to the inaugural episode of Dreams of a Better Day, our Christian movie podcast. I'm Cy, and my friend Ben is here with me. Ben, say hello. Hello. And uh, a little bit about myself. I am the 2006 Butler County Spelling Bee (laughs) champion, and more recently, I was also the end of the year 2006 carrier of the week for the Butler Eagle, a local (laughs) newspaper here in western Pennsylvania. Ben, you want to tell them a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. I am the... Well, I don't have quite as many accolades as you do. Well, who does? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a student at Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary, and uh, that's basically the, the high point of my life so far besides this podcast. So you have peaked much later than I ever did. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. <laughs> so what is this podcast about, Sai? This podcast... I never call you Cy, so that's going to be weird. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> for the sake of the podcast, this podcast is about Christian film. Ben and I grew up in conservative Christian homes, and we watched a plethora of films produced by and produced for, for uh, films made for Christians. And I don't know if it would surprise you to know this, but the reputation surrounding Christian films is... It's not good. Yeah, it's not. (laughs) It's not. The news is bad from the front lines. And we're here a little bit to, you know, dissect these movies a little bit, see if there is any truth that we can find in these movies, and how, as a couple of Christian dudes, we can... Can, well, whether or not we can consume this media uh, without a guilty conscience, <laughs> or really, I think this is just uh, a group therapy session for the both of yeah, us. Yeah, I, I, I think that would probably be an adequate <laughs> description of this podcast. It's more just us going back into our childhood and trying to make sense of all of the strange and. I don't know, what other adjective would you add to that, Ben? Or does Strange kind of sum it up in a good way? I don't know. Christian movies are such a a niche, a weird niche of bad acting. I don't want to sound like I'm bashing them already, but uh, just... I feel like if you didn't grow up watching them, it's going to be really hard to understand what we're even getting at here. But hopefully we can introduce you to that world if you haven't grown up watching them. And if you have, hopefully you'll be able to enjoy our group therapy session along with us yeah absolutely and uh today in the inaugural episode we are talking about the 2008 film fireproof ever heard of it it was a big hit among christian circles when it came out i remember i was not only a regular church attender at the time but i also went to a christian school so there was a lot of buzz surrounding this movie on all fronts of my life People were very excited about it, and it wasn't until a couple years later, I think it was probably about 2010, that I saw it for the first time, 
And, well, Ben, did you watch this when it first came out? No, I didn't see it until just this past week, actually, when okay. we started talking about doing this podcast. Yeah, so obviously Ben was in for a treat when he <laughs> first uh, made his foray into this film because, like I said, it was a big part of my life just because of the buzz. And then my family had a movie night a couple years later where we watched this movie. And even at the time, my whole family, none of us were really movie buffs or cinephiles or really interested in film or movies that much. But this movie, we had a very lengthy discussion about it afterwards, and we'll get more into that later. So you guys actually had like, um, after you watched the movie, you had like a discussion about the movie. Yeah, it was more impromptu than I'm making it sound. <laughs> we didn't like look at the back of the DVD and read the discussion questions. <laughs> I was just about to bring that up. this is another issue or... <laughs> Thing with Christian movies, if you have the physical copy of it, there will inevitably be discussion questions on the back for families to go through together. Yeah, I remember the old Focus on the Family movies. They always had like a list of questions. Yeah. On the oh back. yeah, for sure. <laughs> now, Fireproof. Fun fact: It's the same director and creator as the 2006 Christian hit Facing the Giants. If any of you have seen that, you know also that it is definitely, without a doubt, in the same vein as Fireproof. Um, we'll have to talk about that at some point. Yes, too. and we will talk about Facing the Giants in the next several episodes, so stay tuned for that. One thing I want to say, though, is that this podcast isn't meant to be just a bash, bash session right. of Christian movies. We're not trying to just dog on these attempts at making art but we want to examine them look at them in light of are they good movies are they bad movies but also kind of draw out what what good things can we find from them how did they shape us and is there any value besides nostalgia factor in right them? yeah like we said it's a therapy session for the two of us <laughs> basically every white male podcast in the world. Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> Uh, we're just uh, kind of, you know, following along in a lot of other people's footsteps with this. So, I don't even know where to start. We're obviously going to be jumping around in this a little bit because themes come up throughout the movie. And we're going to, you know, and also I should let you know, those who haven't seen it but have been planning to watch it for the last 10 years, there are spoilers ahead. <laughs> so, if you do not want this movie ruined for you, then I would suggest that you tune out of this podcast. Will the main character become a Christian at the end? Yeah, That's the exactly. Point. That's the question. <laughs> That's pretty much the only question we have to shield you from. Um, so, yeah, since many of our listeners, all three of them, may, yeah. not, uh, have Thanks, seen, by the way. <laughs> may not have seen the movie, you, you want to give a, a brief synopsis of it? Yeah, and I'm going to try to do this based on the synopsis of this movie that I saw. It's about a firefighter who um, is of the opinion that you never leave your partner behind. I guess this is a fundamental principle with firefighters. Uh, you never leave your partner behind. but what? Especially in a fire. Especially in a fire. But, as he soon finds out early on in the first 15 minutes of the film... His marriage is on fire. So what will he do with his part, his life partner? Because they are caught in a fire. Does that sum it up? Do you have anything to add to that? Ben? Yeah, no, I think that, that pretty much covers it well. It's a, a firefighter who is fight, fighting fires at home and at, at the yes. job. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Where do we even start with this? I, I, had an, I obviously watched this movie... Oh, 
eight years ago. And I, I felt weird watching it again because it was an element of my past that I didn't think I was ever going to revisit. Because obviously Christian film, it certainly did formulate a lot of opinions I have about what a movie ought to be. And so I obviously didn't think that I was going to revisit Fireproof because it's not necessarily in my canon of... Um, it's not up there with The Godfather. Yes, it's not quite on par with The Godfather. So I felt very strange sitting down in front of my TV that I paid for, going on to Amazon Prime, which I pay for, <laughs> making all these adult decisions to consume this movie again after eight years of absence from it. But it did not disappoint. It's about <laughs> exactly how I remember it being. Um, I don't know. What were your first impressions, Ben? Because you never saw it. Yeah, so this that, was my first time coming yeah. into the movie. And I, I grew up watching a lot of Christian movies, so I, I sort of knew what to expect going into it. But this one was different because the production value was a lot higher than any Christian movie you've seen in the past. Like, your Thief in the Night or your oh, Buttercream Gang. Uh, yeah. Uh, th- this movie had... It looked like it was made by somebody who at least had an idea of how to make movies. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the question is, what company put this movie up in? Yeah, I don't really know a whole lot about the companies behind it, but it seemed like, obviously, the the director and I think the writer of it, Alex Kendrick, obviously has a, a vision for making good movies because they did Facing the Giants, they've mm-hmm. done this, they've done movies now more recently, uh, War Room... Oh, was that yeah. them, I think? I think War Room. I, th- I think them. they did do War Room. And there was one after Fireproof that I can't recall the name. Courageous? Courageous. Is that the one yeah, and that about. is another one that we're going to get to later on yeah, in so this podcast. Yeah, so I was surprised at how good everything looked for a Christian movie. Yeah. Um, that, was, that was impressive to me. But it also suffered from a lot of the same uh, tropes, we'll call them, that Christian movies fall into. Yes, Christian movies are very trope-ridden. There's just certain things that you see. But actually, if I'm not mistaken, these Christian production companies... What were some of the names? There was Carmel Entertainment. Carmel Entertainment. uh, Affirm Films. Affirm Films. There were a lot of logos at the beginning of this movie. But if I'm not mistaken, um, Sony had to do with at least the distribution of this film. So they had major Hollywood backing for (laughs) this movie, which perhaps we could call a miracle, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so I don't know if we do we want to just jump into the movie now yeah you know what All let's right. dive right in alright so if you haven't seen Fireproof a lot of this won't make sense to you uh, you may want to watch it before listening to the podcast or if you haven't if you have already seen it hopefully you can remember some of the things we're talking about the thing that jumped out to me right as the movie was getting started it was I think like the very first line of the movie I think it was like a flashback scene of the the one of the main characters the the wife in the movie talking to her mom yeah and she brought up she says in the in the movie she asks if dad's going to be home tonight or something like that and the mom says no he's at work tonight at the fire station which if so I'm just approaching this from like a movie making writing standpoint that's one of those obvious like as we both know kind of lines yeah. where it's only there for 
the viewer. It's not yeah. really a helpful line of dialogue in the movie. It's only there to establish that this person's parent works at the fire station yeah. for the viewer. It's plot exposition. There was a lot of exposition in the dialogue of yeah. this movie. Yeah. So they that, established a lot of things just with dialogue and not so much with the camera or yeah. any other mediums that you have in filmmaking. There was a lot of telling and not showing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And this... I don't know. I so many things. I, I have a lot of things racing around my mind right now. This first scene... I, I don't even know if it was necessary. Because all it is is that obviously this is a movie about a... A struggling well we'll get into what the movie's about later but there is the aspect of it where there is a struggling marriage in it and I, it's from the point of view of the the wife what 20 25 years earlier mm-hmm. where she talks about how much she loves her dad and that he's at work and she misses him and there's also like the there's the element of she says that she wants to marry her dad someday, too. There's a lot packed into this very short scene. And we don't even see them, right? It's just no, it's sort just, of a voiceover yep. where we see a, a shot of all of their her like stuffed animals mm-hmm. and just her room. And I guess her mom and her are talking in her room. Yeah, um, so apparently in the... I don't want to call it fundamentalist, but there's like this evangelical Christian attitude of kids wanting to marry their parents when they get yeah, older. I, no. I never really experienced that feeling as a kid, I don't think. I don't remember ever like having that thought. But I do remember, um, who was it? Uh, Ron Hamilton, otherwise known as Patch the Pirate. I don't yeah. know if you're familiar. Oh, Didn't he have a song, I Want to Marry Daddy When I Grow Up, like his girl sang it or something like that? Did he? I'm pretty I'm sure. I'm familiar with that. That just oh, crossed man. my mind. But this is a thing that I... Yeah. I'm not super familiar. Like we with. said, folks, therapy session. <laughs> no, it is a thing because I remember I used to I used to tell my mom that I wanted to marry her, which I, you know, do what you will with that information. I was like four years old, but it, you know, it was a, a wish that died out fairly quickly. <laughs> Puberty you know. hit, and that just yeah, kind of yeah. Even before that, I don't want anybody <laughs> to get the wrong impression that this went on longer than it should have i think by the time i reached six gained a little wisdom i realized that not gonna happen it wasn't gonna happen yeah all right well i'm sorry you never had that dream fulfilled i oh (laughs) anyway yeah um so that's a an interesting element of the movie that sort of surprised me going into it yeah and i i will say i was gonna watch this movie alone but then my wife decided to join me while i was watching it and she sat down when this scene was happening and the pretty much the only thing she said while we were watching the scene was holy freud and you know it, it obviously freudian ideas go this scene kind of plays into some of those freudian ideas of having that kind of um wish to maybe uh marry one of your parents but i will say ben it is definitely i think it's definitely a thing i don't i don't know i mean uh, I know that maybe I did, just you. but maybe I'm using personal anecdote to, <laughs> I'm, maybe I'm trying to justify myself, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, anyway if you're talking about a movie where uh, you're trying to introduce, which I think this is what they were trying to do, introduce Christian movies to the mainstream, this may not have been the way to open the film. No. 
If I think if I were a non-Christian watching this, I would feel rather uncomfortable. Yeah, I felt because, a little uncomfortable. Yeah, and my wife didn't grow up in as explicitly Christian a household as I did. And she thought it was a, a rather strange thing. And so I, I try to just bite my tongue and not let her know that I was part of that. So after that scene, the movie... Cuts to the firehouse. Yeah, and Kurt Cameron is there. Uh, let's, you know what? I think we need to talk about Kurt Cameron for a second. Yeah, Kurt Cameron, from my understanding, is sort of the Christian all star mm-hmm. when it comes to acting. He was on the was it Growing Pains? Growing Pains. Yeah. I wanted to say Royal Pains, but no. Yeah, he was on the sitcom called Growing Pains in the the eighties into the nineties. That was he was Alan Thicke was on that too. I think. I think so. Yeah, he yeah. was the dad. Yeah. And he was something of a, I think a teenage heartthrob. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, he was he was like slated to be one, but then he refused to do any of the teenage heartthrob things yes. because of his Christian beliefs. Yes, he became a Christian while filming Growing Pains, apparently. And so that sort of put his career on a rather different trajectory than what it could have been. And so the Christian sort of snagged him up, and I... I always felt, based on the discussion around movies that he made, like Fireproof and Left Behind, which is another one we're going to cover later on as well, yeah. that Christians sort of see him as, I don't know, sort of a, 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 a the find on the treasure hunt. They found somebody with acting notoriety to be in their movies. The, the James Dean of Christian films. Yes, I, yes. <laughs> I would go so far as to say that he is the James Dean of Christian films. And so this is one of the movies he's done. He has done several. We're going to delve into a couple of them later on. Yeah. But like I said, he the attitude around him seems to be that he is sort of this all-star actor in Christian films. And sort of, I think the hope is that for people that watch these movies is that he brings legitimacy to them. Mm-hmm. That, you know... People that aren't in Christian circles will watch movies like Fireproof because Kirk Cameron is in them. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. I think that's probably true. That's that's what they're going for. They want to introduce somebody who's at least got some sort of star power behind yeah. them. And this yeah, is they remember this guy? Yeah. Even though it's been... We got Kirk Cameron. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we got Kirk Cameron. How many... Has it been 30 years? Yeah, it's been 20... Yeah. So it's been about 30 years since he was on Growing Pains. Wow. Yeah. My thoughts exactly. Uh, yeah, anyway, we open with Kirk Cameron in the firehouse, and it's just a regular day in the firehouse, and... They just got back from a fire, I believe, and yes. the new guy who was with them, whose name I don't recall. That was one of the one of the issues I actually had with this movie, now that I think about it. None of the characters are memorable at all, except yeah. I remember Caleb's name, who's Kirk Cameron's character, right. and... His I wife re- was Catherine. Okay, his wife was Catherine. Yeah. I didn't remember that. I remember Gavin's name. We'll get to Gavin in yes, a minute. Yes, we will get to Gavin. <laughs> but I don't remember yeah, anybody else's Eric name. Eric was the more husky fireman who they were always always playing pranks on. Okay, okay. So, I mean, I'm trying to even remember. This movie really blends together because every scene is very slow. Yeah, and they're There's, all sort of similar scenes. Yes, they're all similar, and there's there's no... There's no trajectory with any of the scenes, really. It kind of, 
it like I said, it all blends together. Mm-hmm. There's no climax to anything. The dialogue is slow, and the buildup is almost non-existent. Yeah, it sort of it, it sort of goes from firehouse scene, uh, home scene, hospital scene, firehouse scene, home scene, and it just follows that pattern. Yeah, through. right. Uh, but yeah, I I can't remember many of the character names at all, which is, yeah, it may that may come down to me not paying close enough attention. But like, you go into some certain movies, and you know, oh, that's Luke Skywalker, that's Han Solo, right, that's so and so. You remember the characters. None I pause the movie several times throughout to rewind it to hear even like halfway through to hear what characters' names were. Part of that might be a me problem, but part of it was just. Like nothing memorable was happening. There were these scenes, and like I said, no climax, no reason to really remember names. Mm-hmm. I remember now the first scene. They were getting back from a fire, and I think it was Eric, the young guy that everybody's always like messing the new, with. The new guy. He messed up. Yeah, yeah. And some guy told him, this ain't no game. Yeah. And that that's where we first get the never leave your partner behind, even a, especially yeah. in the fire line, because yeah. he ran in or something. And left his partner hanging. And that was yeah. like the big issue. So the theme of the movie is established with Eric, probably about our age. and his, I, I don't know. I Here's another thing with this movie. I don't know how old everybody's supposed to be. Because Kirk Cameron and Catherine, these actors, I believe, they're well into... By the time this movie was made, in their... F- I think they're... I late think they're 30s? Early 30s, late 20s. Because at the intro, it says 25 years later. And she was... Okay. Five, ten. But how old are yeah, they? I guess they seemed older than what they were supposed to be playing. I guess is the point that I was yeah, getting at. Yeah, definitely. So th- then there's this young guy who looks like he's maybe our age, but he might be playing somebody that's like just out of high school. Yeah, right. And they're mad at him for not taking adequately taking care of his partner in the fire. Mm-hmm. And like Ben said, it establishes the theme of the movie that yeah, you, you don't... never leave your partner behind. Yeah, so. Uh, hint, hint, uh, foreshadowing for the rest of the movie. <laughs> and then eventually we... I don't even remember. I don't remember what else happened. I have almost 10 pages of notes here, and I don't... I, I just. I guess I didn't have time to write down exactly what happened scene by scene, but eventually we cut to the hospital, right? Or is there anything you wanted to add about the fire station No, I, I think we pretty much covered it. Yeah, it, it was, was basically to establish that... Um, Kirk Cameron is a fire, sorry, Caleb is a firefighter and he is, and we're just establishing that theme of saving your partner in the fire. Then we go to the hospital and we meet a woman who we don't know is Caleb's wife, right? Yeah. We don't even know. (laughs) So it's just all of a sudden we, yeah, we open up to this hospital scene where there's people working at a desk and they ask or they say to, they say Catherine's name, I believe, and then they, they say something about her being on TV. Yeah, she, yeah. she was on TV for some... And she thing. also references... Which, uh, that's never tour, brought up again. Yeah, so. giving a tour of the new cancer wing as well in the hospital. Okay. So, I'm guessing she was on TV because of the cancer wing that was just finished. Yeah, she was like the public relations Yes, person. okay. Yeah. I was unsure as to what her role was, but it seems like public relations yeah. might be the best. Again... But again, you don't need to know any of this because it's not important. Yeah, and the movie, the movie doesn't establish any of this very well because even at the after I watched the movie, I still wasn't exactly sure what Captain because it, it, she seems to be the PR person, 
and then the way that they talk to her, there's definitely some kind of chemistry between them. Like, they get along. Yeah, I didn't think that she had any, like, work relationship with him besides just being, like, friends. Yeah, That's I, thought I thought she was a news anchor when she first came <laughs> on because they were talking about her TV spot. Oh, yeah. I thought maybe she was, like, a news anchor visiting the hospital. Now, I know they said something about her being PR at the hospital. So yeah, I'm and then, then they had the line about the tour, so then, you yeah. know, gears started turning, and I figured out that maybe... She's not a news anchor. She's more in the PR line of things. Yeah. This was also our first introduction to Gavin. Yes. The main, yeah. the main villain, we'll call him. Yes. Gavin the, is the undeniably the villain of this movie. Who Who is Gavin? Who is this guy? He is a Gavin is a doctor at the hospital, which I think that's about as far as we can go safely. I don't know what kind of doctor he is. It doesn't yeah. really establish that. Mm-mm. But towards the end of this opening hospital scene... Catherine, I believe, just runs into him by accident. Oh, like, yeah. literally just it's, runs into it's, him. It's, we find out that they know each other, but it looks like a meet-cute, almost. You know, like in movies when people run into yeah. the romantic... It, that's what it looks like, but it... I mean, it's not quite that because they know each other. Yeah. But it, it's... It creates the most awkward tension. That must be what I meant in my notes here where I have, as every great love story begins, it yeah, must have been that scene. Yeah, that has to be what it is because they... <laughs> Oh, they run into each other again with the trope ridden that that uh, well I mean the trope of Christian movies I guess is that they are full of tropes and they do this thing where there's very obviously something going on between Catherine and Gavin yeah I think we Dr. Keller Dr. Keller yeah no relation to Tim no Um, that should be explicitly noted that this Tim Keller has nothing to do with this movie but I believe in this scene, the the way that we know, if we weren't paying attention to the movie, that that's a significant event, these two running into each other, is that as soon as it happens, you then have all the ladies at the front desk kind of look at each other and give give each other these knowing looks yeah. as though something important just happened here. So if you weren't paying attention to the movie, the movie clues you in that this is important. Uh, overtly yes. clues you, as if you couldn't pick it up from the run-in itself. Yeah. Three characters in the movie all look at each other and nod their affirmation that an important thing there is, just happened. Yeah, there is something going on here. But like I said, the, the run-in with Dr. Keller and Catherine is so ham-fisted. It's oh, it makes me mad thinking about it because it's there's Oh, it's it's I'm uncomfortable thinking about it because it's the you know how wooded the dialogue is so wooden in this movie. I don't even remember what they said to each other, yeah. but it's like, <clears throat> we should probably print out the scripts for these movies so that we yeah. have direct reference. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a very generic... A very of... like, oh, Gavin, I didn't see you, and then it was like, Gavin was like, oh no, it's all my fault entirely, mm-hmm. and then... Smarmy from the beginning. And, yep, and then the people at the desk were like, you see that? Yeah. Which, I think that'll be a continuing theme as we talk about this movie, is... How handholdy it is as they bring you through the plot of the yes. movie. Okay. They kind of there's like there's almost as though there's a character on screen pointing like there's the plot happening yeah. over yeah, here. There is, and it's <laughs> when I was in when I took high school Spanish, I remember watching these videos where it was people speaking Spanish to each other, but it was a way for us as American high school students to try to pick up Spanish. So. For instance, in these videos, somebody would say, Donde esta? 
La Biblioteca, which means where's the library for those of you that don't uh, are not bilingual. And um, it was lines like that in these these videos for Spanish class that they were just trying to slowly like, you know, cue you in on what was being said. I would highly recommend this movie to ESL students because they they, you know, very slowly go through the English and they they make sure that everybody is up to speed on what's going on via other characters that are surrounding the main event in any given scene. Oh, that's a really good point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Uh. <laughs> and then, so we have that, and then we cut to... The home. The home. Yeah. So Caleb is coming home from fighting fires, and Catherine is coming home... From PR work at the hospital. From PR work at the hospital. And... For, for let's, let's establish this first of all. Caleb is hungry. <laughs> Caleb comes home and he is so ravenous. He is going through every cabinet, which he knows. He's lived at that house for a while. He knows which cabinets have food and which ones have dishes. But he's going through every cabinet looking for food of any kind. And he finds like a box of, I don't know, like kicks cereal. That's what it looks like. And there's like a third of a bowl left in it. He shakes it. And then he just... I mean, to be fair, we've all had that feeling before when you go for the kick cereal and there's, you know, three kicks balls left yeah. in the bag and you're not happy about it. No, absolutely not. But Caleb immediately addresses... Catherine. Catherine. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I forgot. Like I said, it's not overly memorable. But Caleb addresses Catherine... What he says, he talks, he's like, I, he basically says something that basically, I don't know, like, would it kill you to buy groceries around here or something? Yeah, Like, right. they both work full time. Yeah. And it's, this just establishes, A, when Caleb is hungry, he is hungry, but <laughs> And he, we'll come back to that, because he's hungry quite he a bit is, in yeah, this movie. It's sort of, it carries the plot, honestly, <laughs> because every time he has, like, some kind of altercation with Catherine, Caleb is hungry. <laughs> But it also establishes, too, Caleb is not a nice guy. No. And Actually, kind of, yeah, go ahead. I thought that was really one of the things we'll probably get to later on when we're talking more about general themes. But they did a really good job of making this movie not just, oh, the bad wife is off running around and Caleb is this guy who's just trying to make the marriage work. He's obviously not a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they did a good job of, I mean, they didn't portray it well, but they made it clear that he's not innocent in the whole thing. No. He's, and also, I think this was a try and roll for Kirk Cameron because he had to be mean. I don't know if any of you have ever seen Kirk Cameron speak anywhere, but I've never met him. I have only seen like interviews with him before, but he may qualify as the nicest guy of all time just from what I've seen. Yeah, And it, it would appear that playing a mean guy was a challenging role for him. He was stretching. Um, he was stretching himself. He was definitely stretching himself. And the best scenes were when he like unhinged Kirk Cameron. Oh man. I was, was a couple times in the movie he Was that this scene where he goes off? Or was that a later house scene? I don't know. They all kind of blend together. I but think... I do remember it was one of the house scenes. It might have been this I one. I think it was this where one. he like he doesn't pin her against the wall, but he he gets in her face when mm -hmm. she's standing up against the wall and again, dialogue, not a hundred percent. But he gets in her face and says, you're an ungrateful, selfish woman. 
and something about not showing respect. Yeah, he, that's his big thing. I feel like he's who is that Rodney Dangerfield? He's like, I tell you, I get no, <laughs> I get no respect. respect, no respect at all. <laughs> and I, I felt like if there was any comedian that could speak to Caleb, it would be Rodney, Rodney Dangerfield because Caleb gets no respect, or at least that's what he thinks. Yeah. And he, uh, the scene though, he uh, unhinged Cameron is my favorite Kirk Cameron. <laughs> A lot of times actors can get like. <laughs> They get some flack when they become unhinged and people say, like, I don't know, you're acting too hard. Kirk Cameron, it's exciting to see that guy angry because, like I said, he may be the nicest guy of all time. And he gets up in Captain's face and he says, you're an ungrateful. What else does he, what, what other adjectives, he uses several adjectives. I, I can't remember. And he also is constantly accusing her of nagging him. It's, again, it's so... There's a lot of background to the marriage that we don't see. I, I yeah, don't think we ever see them exactly. nagging each other. Because all we know is that they say throughout the film, like, this year has been so bad. And so that why that's why I raised the question earlier about how old they are. Because yeah, I, I thought they had been married for, for like 10 to 15 years. Mm-hmm. But if they're playing people that are supposed to be younger, which, I mean, both of them could maybe pass off as younger people. I don't know. Yeah, and they don't have any kids, do they? No, and that's a whole other... Yeah. So I, I assume they'd been married for at least a couple of years because they've yeah, had good but times. but not as long as they look like they've been married. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. This is a question that is not answered by the movie. But um, Caleb is very mad at Catherine. He calls her ungrateful, selfish, and... Nagging. Na- again, like, super stereotypical things that, like, guys are always saying about their wives, I get, I, I You know, like... I don't. I'm not even trying to think where I got this notion from that this is what guys are always saying. But it it, it feels. I think it, it's appropriate to say that nagging is a, a fairly common thing that people are always mm-hmm. saying that their wives do to them. Especially guy, you know, guys just like oh they're nagging me and they want me to. I don't know. It's so. I don't know. The writers weren't really looking to be original with. The conflicts at home. They just get these very general... Yeah, actually, this is a good a good time to bring this up. I noticed this also with her criticisms of him. And I wonder if it's a problem, or not a problem, but a symptom of being a Christian movie, is they can't actually really point out any specific things that are going wrong. Yeah. And you hear this a lot of times in some bad preaching, too. And I've been guilty of this, where you just preach against generic things rather than actually pointing out, okay, here's where we're like getting to actual things that are problems in a household, in a marriage relationship. Yeah. Rather than talking about real things, you say nagging, disrespect. um, What was the the third thing? Selfish. Selfishness. Yeah. But you don't actually talk about the ways in which those things work themselves out in the day-to-day life in the relationship. It's just these generic, abstract principles. You know, don't be nagging, don't be selfish. Not, uh, you know, which this comes up, you know, Caleb, maybe do the dishes once. Like, that's an actual real thing you can talk about. Yeah, right. Uh, And in this scene, while his criticisms are very generic like that, she actually brings up, although she doesn't say it, she brings up a real issue that's real in a lot of homes and it's him watching porn yeah although the way she brings it up is really funny yeah but also with the whole porn thing in the movie i don't deny the truth behind the movie's claim that that is a problem you know obviously it's kind of an epidemic in america but 
Considering Caleb's overall character, they didn't need to bring that in. Because he's just not a nice guy. This is the problem I have with this movie throughout the entire thing, is nobody ever addresses Caleb's character. He's just kind of a jerk. He is a jerk. Yeah. He's not nice to anybody. He's super mean to Catherine. And but then, he's also really mean to his employees, now that I think about it. But we'll get to yeah, that. Yeah, he's not, yeah, we'll get to that as well. He's not <laughs> a nice guy. But for some reason, they felt the need to pull in this... I think shows and movies do this a lot when there's some kind of like political or social issue that's really hot at the moment. Yeah. That they kind of, they pull it into whatever they're doing. And that's how I felt that with this, that whole subplot of him having an addiction to pornography, that they kind of, I don't think it really bared any meaning on the movie hmm. at all. Interesting. I think, honestly, considering his character and who they establish him to be, they didn't even need to present this other problem that he has. And it's not even resolved. And we'll get, maybe we'll get yeah. to that later. Okay. All right. But, yeah, so she brings up the, I, th I think she says, those things you look at on the computer. Yeah, yeah. She it was really generic. Yeah. yeah like, I, I was almost afraid that they weren't even going to talk about like, once she brought it up, I was like, is that really going to be how you talk about this issue in the movie? Right, yeah. But they got better at it as the movie went on. So I was like, okay, that's not that. Because when I first got into it, I was like, oh, here we go. They're just, even the movie itself is repressing things. Yeah, we're, we're, that's going to be on the list of things we discuss later. Yeah. After we. Okay, so do you want to jump ahead then? I, yeah. Or is there anything else you want to say so, about that scene? I think we can probably jump a bit ahead because I, most of the scenes sort of follow this pattern yeah i wanted to establish though um i am have been for the last 10 years a fairly avid weightlifter and just to add to what caleb's character is like he is in the gym using the cable machine and slamming the weights oh that bothered time. me so yeah, much <laughs> he's not even he's he has no etiquette whatsoever in any kind of situation and it's not even like it's heavy so he, i mean he's not putting up like serious i mean you saw the plates. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's in decent shape, but he's not putting up like substantial numbers that would, you know, require maybe a bit of a slam. He's just like almost pulling it and then letting go and letting <laughs> it slam down. And then he has that conversation where he he finishes his set and he looks at his friend. What is his friend's name? Because I like his friend. Yeah, his. Again, I, I can't remember what his name is. His friend actually has one of the best scenes in the movie. I think it might actually be at that scene you're talking about here. Mm -hmm. Kirk Cameron looks over at him and he was like, well, man, I can't do it anymore. He, that's always, I think that's what he says something like that. Yeah. Where he doesn't establish any of his problem, which that's another, I think, that's kind of a movie trope, right? Where people with like shoddy writing is that you like, the character establishes a problem by being like kind of baity with how they they mm -hmm. present it to the other character, and so. Oh yeah, no, he says. Oh, he says it ain't working, Michael. That's the <laughs> line he uses. He says it ain't working. I think this might be the only time that Kirk Cameron says "ain't" in the entire movie. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and his name's Michael. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the guy's name is Michael, and he says it ain't working, Michael. Then they have that conversation about counseling. Yeah. And uh, Kirk Cameron's like, Merge isn't working. Michael says something kind of convoluted. And then Kirk Cameron's like, what? You mean counseling? And he's, I think he's doing another set of, uh, he's doing cable rows, by the way, for those of you that are uh, gym rats. <laughs> and uh, you mean counseling? And then Michael says, I think everybody needs counseling. And then they have this conversation about marriage counseling. 
And then Michael says, a woman's like a rose. And it, it's it's like if you if you tend it, then it blooms or something to yeah. that effect. Yeah. I only wrote down woman's like a rose. If you tend it, it blooms. If yeah. you don't, it uh, withers or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's thorn and the, I don't know, whatever. And then, uh, and then Caleb's like, oh, where'd you hear that? And he's like, counseling. Yeah, right, yeah. So, okay, so we're... I, I thought it was a pretty good conversation, actually. Yeah, so Michael establishes with Caleb that he needs counseling. Caleb goes home from the gym, and guess what? Caleb's hungry. <laughs> he is slamming through the cabinets again. This is the pizza scene, right? Yeah, okay, this, again. So he gets home, and there's like dim lighting. It's just like the lights above the counter are lit. And he's looking through the fridge, and he's like, oh, a box of pizza on the counter. And he opens it, it's all gone. Huh. Which, I don't know, are they trying to establish possible tension that maybe someone else is home besides him? Because I just don't know that Catherine would eat an entire No, she had pizza. friends over. She had friends over. Oh, she did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She had, like, a... I'm pretty sure they had, like, a group over and they had pizza. I thought they went out to eat for that. Or is that later? That's later. Okay. 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 So she has friends over to eat the pizza and he, again, can't find food. And so he finds the box of pizza. And when he finds that it's empty, he's really mad. Yeah. But she didn't order the pizza for him or tell him that she was ordering pizza. Like, again, this theme, I don't know. There's no food. I don't know if, I, are they, I don't know if the writers were trying to bring in, like, the biblical thing of, like, famine into this. I don't know. Or do you think they're trying to do some kind of, like, famine <laughs> imagery? Caleb is hungry as, okay. a, as a statement for okay, the movie. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. So. <sighs> this is this is where we have, this is where the fight happens. Oh, yeah. This is where the big, the big once fight again, happens. Caleb is hungry. Yeah. Now, I understand being hungry. Yeah. I am hungry a lot. Yes. Actually, I think probably three quarters of my day is spent <laughs> hungry. The other fourth, I'm asleep. Yeah. And, <laughs> like, I am not pleasant when I'm really hungry. I understand that. But he's, he is, he is, even though the dialogue isn't overly harsh, Caleb is out of control when he's hungry. Oh, yeah. Which... <laughs> and so they have this argument where he he this is when he's I'm sorry once again these scenes all blend together and so he s- doesn't slam Catherine against the wall but he addresses her her um uh, what are the adjectives that he uses yeah that, selfishness nagging nagging disrespect disrespect yeah I get no respect I get no respect at all <laughs> but I think this presents the fact that Caleb has slightly unrealistic expectations for how marriage is supposed to be simply because he I he definitely establishes that he thinks that the marriage revolves around him and him alone. Oh yeah. Oh, Catherine yeah. doesn't shop for groceries for him. Catherine shouldn't be able to express her disappointments in the he just he doesn't want anything to do with anything she has to say. Caleb's not a nice guy. He is not a nice guy. Yeah. At all. He's got problems. His expectations are slightly unrealistic. So what happened? Oh, this is a great scene. He goes outside. Remember, he beats up the trash can. (laughs) And this is when we're introduced to my favorite character in the movie, Mr. Rudolph. The only character name that I definitively remember from the whole movie. Mr. Rudolph is a guy who has seen some stuff. (laughs) This guy is sitting... Or no, he's taking out his trash too. Caleb goes out and beats up his own trash can. He turns around and he says, oh, hi, Mr. Rudolph. Mr. Rudolph waves to him. And he just says, yeah. Caleb. Hey, Mr. Rudolph is this very elderly neighbor that Caleb and Catherine have. Mm-hmm. 
And this is the Mr. first. Mr. Rudolph has been in Nam. Like you can, yes. you can see it that on his was, face. That was my primary assumption about Mr. Rudolph. This guy was in was in Nam. Yeah. You're absolutely right, Ben. And <laughs> this is the first of several incidents that Mr. Rudolph witnesses throughout the movie, um, all involving Caleb, all involving Caleb being upset. Um, and so then we jump from that disappointment. I think we're back at the firehouse. Yeah. Oh, so there was one <clears throat> during the fight scene. Mm-hmm. I, I talk about it like it's an actual fight scene. Though. Right, yeah. But it is not. There's no domestic abuse in the movie, let's yeah. be clear. Although Caleb, when he's unhinged, he gets close. <sighs> unhinged Cameron. I love it. <laughs> the, the scene where they both go to separate bedrooms. Oh, yeah. I thought that was, like... From a filmmaking perspective, I thought that was a good way to communicate this relationship is on the yeah. rocks. Yeah, that that was really good because they like show. I, I don't even know. Do they do it split screen or do they just show one after the other? I can't remember. But I mean, they, they show, show them, one after the other. Yeah, they show them going into bedrooms and their separate bedrooms. I thought that was a really good way of communicating how on the edge the relationship okay. is. But yeah. then they show uh, her her taking off her wedding ring. I think he keeps his on, but. I thought the wedding ring thing was kind of superfluous because the the two shots of the bedrooms was perfect. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, they're on yeah. the outs here. And then, so we we established that Caleb's and Catherine's relationship is in trouble. This is a nine one one type of situation. Mm-hmm. That was an intentional uh, reference to being a firefighter. And nice. That, yeah, yeah. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> and then we cut to the firehouse again. Where Caleb's friend Michael, who who is kind of his confidant at the fire station, he is the one who has been through counseling, has a healthy marriage. The way they present Ooh, yeah. healthy marriage is exactly how a lot of movies present unhealthy relationships. They're super like oogly googly over each other. Mm-hmm. That's an actual term I looked it up in psychology today. They're oogly googly over each other and they're like pet talking each other. Yeah. And they're like, like I, I don't want to leave. I don't want to go home. It's like, oh, I don't know. It's of all the ways to present like a healthy relationship, this is not the way to go about it <laughs> because it made me uncomfortable. They're being really like junior high flirty. Yeah. There were a lot Which, of times in this movie where I, I didn't pause it and I didn't skip ahead, but I had this overwhelming desire to be like oh this is really awkward yeah and it's like they skip. think they think that okay so kids are watching so we can't show actual like mm-hmm. healthy relationship i don't know i feel like this is not good for kids to see that this is the healthy relationship that it's it's exactly what like kids like that's how their middle school relationships are just like mm-hmm. like puppy dog love super clingy yeah, i'm sure there's moments like that i guess in marriage but it's not that's not the way to present a healthy they should have shown them having an argument or something and then showing how they say okay we'll talk about it later or something and then breaking up and being okay with it i don't know like this makes me want to talk about friday night lights oh yeah marriage relationships if you've ever watched friday night lights the tv show which the show kind of is it's a little bit soap Mm opera-y and goes off the deep end in a couple of scenes but I've never seen a TV show, and I think your dad has said this before mm-hmm. also, I've never seen a TV show that actually handled what a healthy marriage relationship looks like better than Friday Night Lights. Okay. Like, the 
the husband and the wife, the coach of the football team and his wife get into really like they have deep disagreements about things. But the way they handle those disagreements is really well done. Better yeah. than I've ever seen a Christian yeah, movie. The handle characters them. want to resolve them. Mm-hmm. This movie like the only thing we see about a healthy marriage is that like people are like clingy. Mm-hmm. I think that's the only thing that we really see with I don't know. It was kind of disappointing to me because the whole movie is about how to save a marriage. And then, I don't know, it kind of establishes that as we watch the movie as like the standard where people are like, I'm not, I'm not saying, I I don't know. I just, I've never seen a, a marriage that's like that all the time. And if you want to establish Michael's marriage, who Caleb uses as kind of a standard for his own life. Mm hmm. That's not the way to do it. You need. I don't know. It's just. It was established. It was just very uncomfortable to watch. It almost. I did not like it. It almost seems as though the movie is setting up healthy marriages as marriages where there are no disagreements and where okay. there are no fights. Okay. Yeah. Which is a really a big, big problem. Yeah, but I think <laughs> I think like the beauty of marriage is that you that there are those things and it's how you manage. Right conflict as opposed to not have if you don't have any then there's something wrong I, yeah they almost established this relationship that especially but like that I, like i don't know were people not questioning that when they watched this i mean i don't know it's or was it just a terrible attempt at like comic relief i don't know i don't know what they were trying to establish with that scene but it was a uncomfortable and b kind of unrealistic and yeah i don't I don't know. So this scene, the one you're talking about with uh, Michael and his wife, yeah. also has a somewhat funny moment in it that I appreciated mm-hmm. when the new guy is told to grab some hose lengthener. Oh, yeah, the hose lengthener. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of ribbing in this movie. right? Uh, some of like, it's really weird and unrealistic, yeah. but that scene in particular, yeah. I, I actually laughed out loud at because... When I used to work at the feed mill, yeah, we uh, when I worked in the office after I'd been out of the the warehouse for a while, we had this new guy who was working in the warehouse, and the other guys in the mill gave him a really hard time all the time. And one time they sent him up to the office, and he he comes up and he's like, "Yeah, the guys are asking me for some kind of water filters for the water machine downstairs." <laughs> you would think, yeah. you would think. That me and the other guy who worked in the office who had both worked down there would have known what was happening. But we totally missed it. So we spend the next 15 minutes oh. looking around trying to find They him. got everybody in on it. That was a good one. <laughs> no, we, we had no idea that they were... Yeah, that's like, what I'm saying. They fooled everybody. That was a good... <laughs> so yeah. we're, we spend like 15 minutes looking around for this uh, water filter. And we eventually go to the supervisor, our boss. And we're like, yeah, he's asking about some kind of water filter. And he just immediately starts laughing. Because he <laughs> knows what happened. Uh, so that was actually like one scene where like the, the workplace ribbing actually was realistic and rang sort yeah. of true. Because I, <laughs> I used to work with a guy... He would tell me when they would get off work, he and his, he and some of the other guys at work would go to his garage and they would just like, you know, they would drink and they would prank call people. They were like 18, 19. And what they told me these stories. One time they called a guy at Home Depot. They were, they called Home Depot and they're like, yeah, I need to make a fence. I have the post hole digger, but I need to buy some post holes. 
And so they apparently this guy was on the line for like 15 to 20 minutes looking for post holes in Home Depot. And I guess he came up and he's like, sorry, we don't have any postals here. Do you want me to transfer you to another store? Or And I guess they hung up at that point. But So, yeah, not a bad representation of ribbing in that scene. Yeah. But then, okay. Has nothing to do with the movie, but it was great. Yeah. And that's another thing. All of the humor in the movie is totally, like, separate from what is going on. There's no attempt at, like, dark humor or even, like... Um, like to put humor into these I don't know well if you think about it most of the fire station scenes really didn't need to be in the movie yeah there's only a couple where Caleb talks with Michael maybe about Mm -hmm. marriage stuff they were just there for comic relief and then after he sees Michael with his wife right he has that talk with this oh that's when they uh they have like the scene with Catherine and her girlfriends out to dinner where she's complaining about Caleb and Caleb's complaining to Michael and they're both like complaining about the same things mm-hmm. and they have each scene finish each other's sentences yeah. and it's but he's he's like she's so emotional and she's nagging and she's insane because of I don't know she doesn't go all we know is that she <laughs> she can't didn't go have grocery pizza. shopping yeah. and she didn't buy him pizza but she doesn't have time to go grocery shopping because she has a full-time job, too. And they don't. it's not like there's no kids in the picture, either. So they just both have full-time jobs. And she does bring up a good point early on that he works 24 on, 48 off. Mm-hmm. So 48 hours is plenty of time to go grocery shopping. I don't want to get... I don't know if we need yeah. to get into that nitty-gritty, but... We, yeah, we don't need all to, that to say Caleb's... Caleb is not a nice guy. Yeah. And then we cut to this scene where there's two cars on the road. Well, hold uh, on. Right? Before we get there, before we okay. get to that... Back to the fire station. Yeah. There's another important conversation that happens there where the new guy, I think he asks Michael. He may ask another guy. No, yeah, it's definitely Michael. He says, you know, aren't you ever scared? And Michael's like, no, I know where I'm going. Oh, And yeah. then uh, it was like setting up the conversion scene later on. Yeah. And the young guy is like, um, he's bothered by this statement. Mm-hmm. And he asks... I can't remember if he asks Caleb or if he asks another character. He asks another guy. Do you know where you're going? But then the other guy asks Caleb if he knows where he's going. Yeah. Uh, It seems that almost everybody at this firehouse is a Christian besides Caleb. No, because the one guy is like, what do you mean? I'm going home. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he has a more like nihilistic approach to to his answer. He's just going home. This brings the – my reason for bringing this up is I don't know – I know you have worked in situations like the fire station with those kinds of people. more Like blue collar. Yeah, blue yeah. collar. Uh, those conversations don't happen like no. that. The closest thing I've ever come is uh, I, I was working with a bunch of guys. I've worked a lot of jobs. This conversation has come up in several jobs I've worked in where the people working were like talking about whether or not they've thought about ending their own lives. That was seriously like the conversation. And then they would ask me because they knew that I had some kind of faith Mm -hmm. whether or not they would just ask like, will I go to hell if I, if I commit suicide? That was seriously like the extent of that conversation. So like a lot of the, that kind of conversation would be much more indirect or overly direct. So I guess that conversation is more overly direct because it's almost humorous in the way they approached it. And mm-hmm. nobody wants to directly approach that question with like, where are you going? 
<laughs> the most sensible answer is, well, I'm going home. Yeah, that's yeah. how I would have answered. Yeah, that exactly. Question. If I were in that situation, I'd be like, I'm, what are you talking yeah. about? I'm going home. Yeah. Uh, so this goes back to the ham-fistedness of mm-hmm. the, the movie. Yeah. Is that I, I get the sense, and maybe this is wrong, but I get the sense that the people making this movie, writing this movie, have never worked a job with blue collar kind of yeah people because the the conversations yeah. even the ribbing some of it is just not and i get it's a christian movie so you can't have a lot of the vulgarity that happens in a workplace like that yeah but it was it just came across as really inauthentic and and like fake i would imagine too that being firefighters you have a stronger sense of brotherhood so you wouldn't ask such awkward Mm-hmm. questions because i mean these guys are saving each other's lo- i mean i i mean cops firefighters i would imagine that the brotherhood in those professions is absolutely tremendous and these questions are like they don't even know each other yeah yeah They're like surely i don't know so it's i i don't know it, it was it was un- almost uncomfortable to watch because my assumption was that those professions had that stronger sense of brotherhood and wouldn't ask questions like that to each other. I, like they didn't know each other. Or they were just like walking up to people on the street and asking them, hey, excuse me, sir, where are you going? <laughs> Undoubtedly, the first person I asked would say, well, I'm going home. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, maybe, I don't know. But after this scene... yeah. Moving on. We cut to two... This is the car scene, right? Are we at the car scene already? I feel like we've skipped some... Uh, in in between these scenes, there have been some scenes with Gavin at this point, for sure. Oh, yeah. So, okay. Because I, all I have written down in my notes here is Gavin is a scumbag. Um, at, like, in, be- yeah, in so between Dr. the firehouse. Keller, we have established that Catherine and Dr. Keller have some kind of flirtatious relationship. Yeah. And as the movie progresses, it gets more, like... I don't want to say, not physical, but I mean, she's doing like the flirty arm touches. Mm-hmm. They're having some kind of emotional connection and it it continues to develop throughout the movie. Yeah. One thing we haven't brought up yet is the book. We, we haven't talked about the book yet. What book? The, Which book? What's the movie about? The 40 day book. Oh. The 40 days. But of that life. hasn't come up yet, has yeah, it? Yeah, it has. He, he's already doing it at this point because one of the next scenes oh. is where he does the... He makes coffee for her in the morning. Oh, okay, yeah. So, <laughs> Caleb is having troubles with his marriage, so his dad, well, he seeks out his dad's advice, and his dad presents him with this handwritten journal that's the 40-day challenge for a spouse to reconnect with your... It, it's, a, it's an opportunity to reconnect with your spouse. It's basically a do one thing a day for 40 days to like win back your spouse or just... And every day a new thing is added. So yes. you continue doing yeah. everything else. And Which, so, yeah, Kirk Cameron has started doing this. There's a scene where he has to, he decides to pour his wife coffee and then she's like, well, I don't have time for coffee. And she leaves and then he's mad. He dumps out all the coffee down the drain. So this is, this is going, well, is it really? Yeah, I think I'm surprised at, that I didn't write down. I think we're at that point now. Maybe I'm jumping ahead. I don't know. I have to look through my notes now because... I'm trying to see. But I, I think he definitely has started it at this point. Okay. So Caleb, the um, reluctant, I don't know, 
uh, subject of this experiment by his dad. Yeah, because he's not really even into it yet. At this no, point. he's not. He's just doing it out of spite, mostly for his dad, because his dad says to him, Caleb, do this because I'm your dad. Yeah. And so he starts doing it, and his dad becomes sort of like the go-to, I'm going to say, all-knowing character in the movie. I, th- I honestly I think if there's anyone who's God in this movie it is his dad because his dad knows every time that Caleb calls that something wrong it's something has gone wrong and he also knows so it's almost like a metaphor for prayer he's calling his dad yeah I guess it is a <laughs> metaphor for prayer but it's all I got out of it was that I don't know okay so Caleb's dad is kind of a God figure in this because Caleb calls on his dad way more than he actually does with God and you would think that if they were trying to establish that you're trying to not only um, improve your marriage, but improve your relationship with God, that he would be praying more. Than well, he's not even a Christian at this point. Yeah. I don't know. But this continues on. We'll get to yeah. more of that later, I guess. Um, so she doesn't have time for coffee. Yeah. And then he dumps the coffee out. And... <sighs> Man, what happens after that? And, oh man, there's so many scenes. And then there's this scene. I don't Do you want to just jump around? I don't know. Well, the, the next thing I've written down is is the second getting caught watching porn scene. Like, where he's sitting at the computer. Oh, yeah. And he's, like, quickly typing things <laughs> no. when she walks in. So. Oh, when he's reading the book? and No. Of, no, no, I'm no, trying no. to remember. This is before that. This is... Uh, he's sitting at the computer. I think he was doing something. It doesn't ever show. Oh, looking at the boat? Is it? No, no, oh, that's, that's, later that's on. the later one. Okay. He's he's looking at stuff, and then she comes in the door, and you can hear him quickly clicking. Oh, things. yeah. And then she's like, did you remember to delete the browser oh, history? Oh, yeah. Did you delete the history? <laughs> right. Oh. So that's the next scene that yeah. happens. But I feel like you've seen this scene happen already, essentially, with the very first argument, which yeah. is like, you look at bad things on the Yeah, they keep, they keep establishing this this porn issue but again it doesn't really play into any of Caleb's I mean other flaws because theoretically you could have written this movie without a porn problem and it would have been just fine because as we've established Caleb is not a nice guy at all Caleb is he has so many personality flaws and nobody ever addresses them the only thing that Catherine seems to really address repetitively is the his his viewership of porn Right? I mean, yeah, I guess you're right about that. He does, she doesn't really bring up the fact that he's just not nice to her. And this, again, is sort of like a, it begs the question. They don't specify how long they've been married. Yeah. And if they've been married a short time, this makes more sense because it's a big issue. But it, they make it sound like there have been a lot of years, at least a significant amount of years they've been married, and then this year's been bad. Yeah. I don't know. I can't tell because if Although, Caleb... in the in the conversation where the scenes are going back and forth between her and him arguing, uh, she actually says, he probably thinks things were great until just now, and he and then it switches over, and he's like, things were great until just now. Yeah. So they're, they've been married for a while. Okay, and yeah. And problems so... have been there for a while, according <sighs> yeah. to that scene. Um. The, the very next thing I have, unless you have something before mm-hmm. it that you want to talk about, is the – it's a scene at the fire station, and it's sort of one of those comedic banter scenes. And I don't even know why it happens, but there's the new guy. He's talking a big game, 
and uh, Caleb is kind of giving him a hard time, and then Michael comes in with these two cans okay. of hot sauce. No, it wasn't even the new guy. Oh, it, it no, was, it was, it was you're right. Brian, you're right. Like the order, like th- he says he's like 35, I think, at some point in the movie. Yeah. So he's like been working there a while, but he's just the guy at work who's always like talking a big game. Yeah. And so, yeah, anyway. So Caleb grabs these two things of hot sauce, and he's like, well, if you think you talk such a big game, here's what we're going to do. And Caleb opens up one of the bottles of hot sauce. And begins to just drink it. Yeah, he chugs it. He, yeah. And it takes him, I think, like 40-some seconds to chug it. Yeah. And Brian is in somewhat disbelief yeah. because Brian didn't think it was possible. So so he's also like, well, if you can do it, I can do it too. So I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Yeah. And he opens up his bottle of hot sauce and begins to try to chug it and has a much harder time. And it's clearly not going to be able to finish this yeah. hot sauce. And eventually it gets so bad that he says his mouth is on fire and he runs to the bathroom or something. I'm not sure where he goes. Probably to wash his mouth out with water, which doesn't help with hot sauce. Actually, you need milk, not water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard that too. So, fun fact. This hot there. sauce prank is absolutely cruel. I cannot imagine that drinking hot sauce is good for the stomach or the digest oh. digestive system at all. Yeah, it, it can't be. Good. Like this isn't again. Who facilitates this prank? Caleb. Caleb and Caleb is not a nice guy. No. He makes some guy who's talking a big game drink hot sauce, which. There seems to be better ways to try to get this to call yeah. this guy on his crap besides <laughs> easy make, with the language. No, I'm sorry. There seems to be a better way to call this guy on his hijinks. His hijinks. <laughs> <laughs> There's a better way to call this guy on his hijinks than making him drink hot sauce. I just I don't know anything about like the medical parameters of drinking hot sauce, but I know eating hot wings isn't great for you. It's not <laughs> It's, 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 not good not, for your system. it's not overly beneficial. I can't imagine what drinking, what was it called? Wrath of God <laughs> yeah, hot sauce? God. It was called Wrath of God, which I don't know if that's some kind of foreshadowing or <laughs> if that's played into the movie at all, but he drinks Wrath of God hot sauce. And so no doubt it's extremely hot and spicy. Yeah. And all, I don't, I don't know. I, it's, it's not nice. It's, <laughs> That's Caleb is not a nice no, guy. No, he's not. Caleb and Michael is, facilitates it also. Yeah, and this is another thing where we could have established Caleb has a he's a nice guy at work, but he's not at home. But he's mean yeah. at work. He's being mean to these. Oh, so we should be guys. clear. Caleb, when he's drinking the hot sauce, it's not actually hot sauce. Yeah, it's tomato. It's juice. tomato juice. He so he drinks tomato juice and makes Brian. I think that's his name. Think makes Brian think that it's actual hot sauce, and then Brian drinks it. Which this is another reason why age <laughs> comes into play. Because Brian is like 35. He establishes that he's in his 30s. So Caleb is the captain. He's probably he's gotta be older, older yeah, than this guy. That's a good point. Yeah. Hmm. So it's almost as if they've been married 20 years, right? Yeah, wow. I guess you're right. I didn't yeah. think about that. I know. I thought it was, I was like a, thinking not a newlywed, but like five years tops was my, yeah. my thinking. But is the it? hot sauce scene, in my opinion, is sort of a... Not intentionally, but it is the the centerpiece of this movie for a couple of reasons. One, it describes perfectly the problem with Christian movies. And that is that 
they set everything up as though it's this real problem, real relationships, real issues, and they're going to tell you a real story. Yeah. But in the end, really, all it is is just tomato juice. There's no hot sauce oh. in the bottle. Ooh, so yeah, you like this? You like this? It's, this is great. metaphorical yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's no real conflicts being addressed here. There's In the movie, the, the, the salvation of the marriage is, and we're going to get to this, but I'm going to, spoiler alert, the the way that this marriage relationship is resolved is that Caleb becomes a Christian and that solves all of his problems. He doesn't fix his personality issues. He does eventually, at least seemingly, start to fight against the porn issue. Mm. But he's still the same guy that he was. He, cha- yeah. he changes some behavior based on the book. But the, the real thing that solves the problem is that the relationship is fixed and everything becomes good because he becomes a Christian mm-hmm. and she wants to also become a Christian. Now, I don't yeah. have a problem with people becoming Christians. No, obviously. me either. But but that's not really how life works. There are Christians who are both Christian people who are both trying. Yeah. Who still have really bad marriages. I know. that's that's It would have made almost more sense if they had written a movie about two Christian people having a like struggling with their marriage that would have been I think more real it would have spit more truth than this movie did because the movie gets convoluted because it's hard to tell who they're making the movie for Mm -hmm. if they're making it for Christian couples well the resolution what what happens when you've already gotten saved and now your marriage is still really bad exactly and again this goes back to Caleb is not a nice guy and he's not going to change overnight yeah and the 40 days thing is is probably a good model for like like here's some things you can do to be a better spouse that i don't have a problem with that necessarily but that doesn't fix all of the issues yeah um but going back to the the hot sauce scene Mm -hmm. so the 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 christian movie is kind of like the the hot sauce that's actually tomato juice yeah i'm i'm reminded of a, a video on the internet you have this raccoon who has this thing of um, cotton candy that he's holding and yeah. he's about to eat it but before he does he wants to wash it off and so he takes the cotton candy and dips it in the water and it just suddenly dissolves yeah, right. and that's what Christian movies are like they're like you've got this really sweet thing that mm-hmm. it's going to be delicious mm-hmm. but when when you actually you know put it up to examination there's not there's no substance there it's yeah. just it's almost and I, I hesitate to say this it is almost the pornography of the Christian world. Okay, yeah. And people say like that um, rom-coms are basically like like sort of a pornographic movie medium because everything's presented as like this overly like yeah, yeah. over the top like perfect world where like things happen. I would say this is the same thing with this movie yeah. is that it's presented, the world is presented as a place where, where everything connects. Yep. Everything goes according to plan. But it, I don't know. And I want to say too that when it comes to the porn in the movie, like Caleb does not have. There's no a, porn in the movie. Right. Just, when it comes to that issue though, <laughs> Caleb has a terrible setup for it. He's like, <laughs> I just, he's in the living room with the only computer in the house and his back is to the only entrance into that room. He's, there's no discretion at all. So he doesn't even seem concerned about whether or not Catherine knows what he's doing. Right? I mean, I, I know, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to be too abrasive or like, but if he does not, I mean, 
I don't want to help people, you know. No, <laughs> no, I, no, we're not trying to help. It's just, he, you make a good point there. His setup is so, it's just not overly discreet. Yeah. And it's weird to me, like. I guess that's why she knows about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, plot twist. She knows about it because he is in the living room with the computer facing the only doorway into the center of the household. Like, I don't, I don't. I don't know. Again, Caleb is not a nice guy. He's also not an overly smart person, apparently. He's not concerned at all with, with perception. He's yeah. just doing whatever he wants. Yeah, that's a which, good point. Yeah, which, I don't know. I feel like, yeah, I don't know. There's no attempt to hide that at all. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, and I'm not, I'm not advocating for the hiding <laughs> of that kind of problem. But at the same time, if you're going to set that up as a problem, why is Caleb not... And he, he's he been caught before, it seems like, with yeah. the things Catherine has said. I don't think when Catherine says, like, oh, what about those, you know, things you... Like, whatever you watch or whatever. That's not the first time yeah. that he has been caught. He's He's been caught with this before. <laughs> and he's just not making any attempt to try to... Yeah. I don't... <laughs> he just doesn't care, I yeah. guess. Oh, man. I also have down here, they have a Casting Crown song in the, the soundtrack. And oh, I think yeah. the way I would describe this movie is Hallmark meets Casting Crowns. That's a good That's yeah. like the, that's the summation of the movie. It has a lot of the Hallmark, like, signatures of everything working out perfectly. And, you know, the overtly emotional scenes that are, you know, kind of audience grabbing. You know, they're just trying to mm-hmm. force... The emotion onto the audience, but I don't know. That's that's another thing I'd written down. Is just that I don't know. This this movie is rather disappointing. And <laughs> like we said, we're not. We didn't come into this to try to just bash the movie, but there no, are a lot of because it brings up a lot of good issues. But the movie can't decide what issues it wants to tackle. Yeah. And then we we move on to we're. I mean, Catherine is having these lunch dates with Dr. Keller. She is at least having an emotional affair. If not yeah, it is definitely an emotional affair. And this is, Dr. Keller is a serpent. He is the <laughs> devil. He's the, I think yeah. he's the devil in this movie. He's the thwart to what Caleb's dad, who I think is God in the movie, what he's trying to set up. He's trying to set up this healed relationship. Mm-hmm. But the devil, Dr. Keller, or Gavin, <laughs> Gavin. as some people call him, is... Not having it. Not that he knows what Caleb's dad is trying to do, but Dr. Keller is not behaving himself, and neither is Catherine. They are having a, an emotion, like you said, an emotional affair. And Gavin knows that she's married, I think. At least at some point in the movie. Yeah, he, ha- she, it, or he has to know that she's married. And there's a hint that he is also married. And that comes up later yeah. in one of my favorite scenes in the movie, which we will get to. Oh, yeah. Um, I hope you mean that, like, not ironically, that that's one of your favorite scenes. It was good. It was a little unhinged Cameron. Yeah. Coming up, folks. So, we have to talk about the conversion scene, because that, that happens right around this point. Yeah, I'm just trying to see. I just also wanted to point out that when he's talking with Michael about marriage at some point, um, Michael says that, like, hey, man, you graduated high school when you're dating mm-hmm. Catherine. But then you got to get a bachelor's and a master's and then a doctorate yeah. in Catherine studies. And I remember I was, I was watching this with my wife. And she decided to join me in watching this. I was very grateful that I had someone else to watch this with. Because like I said, I just felt uncomfortable because I hadn't watched this movie in so long. But 
my wife just kind of looked at me and rolled her eyes <laughs> when this came up. And I looked at her and I was like, Cindy, I'm trying to have doctorate studies about you. And she wasn't having it. So this is a very weird... It's a very ham-fisted metaphor. It's yeah. like... It's all of these... I think... I think maybe cliche things that might come up in therapy, but Caleb and his wife never go to therapy. So That's it's like true. they, never they get treat counseling. Caleb's friend Michael as like the counseling, counseling. and but, the book. Yeah, but that's uh, they have a lot of other issues to work out that I don't think a book and mm-hmm. a firefighter can help. Yeah, obviously Michael helps to fight the fire. Ew. but there are a lot of fire metaphors. There are a lot movie. of fire metaphors. It's. <laughs> I was, there's something I've written down earlier. Yeah, no. Do you remember the salt and pepper scene? Yeah. Yeah. Earlier on in the movie, Michael presents salt and pepper shakers to Caleb as a metaphor for marriage, where it's two completely different people. Mm-hmm. But when you... you he uh, glues them together. He, he glues them together and says when they're together, they season something perfectly or something to that effect. And then he, I think he literally says, marriages aren't fireproof I, I have that written down i think that's yep. the marriages yeah. are not fireproof yeah yep. <laughs> he says marriages aren't fireproof so first of all kudos to the movie we have the title in the dialogue oh, yeah name drop right yeah there. name drop for sure but and i also had written down these fire metaphors are on fire like they <laughs> they're spitting them left and right yeah. making sure that we know that the movie title is fireproof and that it's about fighting the fire of both literal yeah. fires and the relationship yeah yeah, we didn't get. We didn't. We're past the uh, the 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 car scene, the the teenager scene. Are we past that? Yeah, scene? we're past that, because there's a scene in the movie. One of the calls that Caleb has to go on with the fire department is, um, again, they could have just had a call into the fire station about an accident on the train tracks, but they don't do that. They have a whole scene with a couple of teenage guys in a car. At a stoplight, and then a couple of teenage girls pull up to them. Which this is, this one <sighs> is this the 1950s? I know this. It's, yeah, like they're going to go get a milkshake down at Johnny's or something. I don't at know. Mr. Graff's. Yeah, yeah, they're going to Mr. Graff's to get some some milkshakes and burgers, and have you know have a waitress bring them out on roller skates or whatever. But these girls pull up, and these guys give this really super like obvious nod, like hey. And then they're like, hey, we're going down to, to the pizza bar to get some pizza. You want to join? First of all, I have never met anybody from any part of the country that calls a pizza place a pizza bar. Maybe so, it's like a CC's pizza where you have like the buffet. And, okay, but I've never okay, heard of it. This is a, a question bar. I want to ask you all. Um, does anybody call Does anybody a call pizza a pizza bar? buffet a pizza bar? Um and we want an answer to that so pronto we will give you our email address at the end of the episode all that to say these then these guys are like hey ladies you want to race us to the next light or to the pizza bar so they're they're racing they're driving erratically to the pizza bar and apparently we don't see the accident yeah but they 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 end up, they're on a main street, but then they end up on this side street at train tracks and they have a car accident. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. And so the girl's car crashes and sits on train tracks. Where are the guys at this point? Yeah, they're not there. <laughs> they went to the pizza They bar. went to the pizza bar. They're eating pizza. Again, <laughs> where, these guys take after none, none other than Caleb because Caleb 
is not a nice guy. And Caleb is hungry. And yeah, so they take after both the hunger aspect. They have Caleb's hunger and Caleb's... Maybe this goes deeper than we thought. Maybe that scene actually is important, setting up that these young guys are just like Caleb. And he puts his marriage into the the, the path of a train. (laughs) So the fire department shows up, and they're trying to save these girls out of this. So all the fire department gets around this yeah. this car and they're slowly lifting it off the tracks and there are enough of them that that would be possible yeah There's, it's not physically impossible to do that yeah that and was so, believable yeah and so they're doing it and then michael is at the tracks when the train comes by and his feet are right where the train is passing and he gives a pretty blood curtain like <laughs> like he was, i thought I he was gonna too. lose a I leg thought, i was like oh man i forgot about this i thought the movie was getting like kind of violent and he does this his body tenses and the whole time the train is passing his body is convulsing and he's like yelling he looked like he was in the electric yeah, chair I thought something. the train had like cut his heels off <laughs> yeah. I thought they had sliced his Achilles heel yeah but no but no the next scene he's walking he just kind of walks off and goes sit down sits down to have like a moment to himself I don't know I don't his know. fireman's I just, hat got knocked off yeah but he, he was okay um, oh yeah, but they did show the helmet getting thrown off to show that this is a very serious situation that he's in. I thought for sure that he yeah. was going to lose a leg or something. And then, so let's fast forward again to where we were. Um, the conversion scene? Or are you not there yet? Well, any time that Caleb calls his dad about where he is in the 40-day challenge, his dad always knows. Because his dad will look at the caller ID and be like, oh, Caleb... And then then answers the phone. Oh yeah, and Caleb has bad news for because him because he's probably, I'm assuming, he recognizes what step because he knows what you know he knows when he gave him the book he knows when he started yeah so he knows what day he's on but so like the the night when he does the dinner yeah and that's yeah and I think Caleb, that's what I'm th- probably and, what I'm thinking of. and Caleb calls his dad and his dad's like oh. I, I that one was believable to me because he called him like they should have been having dinner at this point in yeah. the evening. And the fact that he's calling his dad is bad a bad sign that the dinner didn't go well. Okay, so maybe, maybe okay, he probably communicated with his dad maybe before. Okay, so, okay. All right, that's... All right, I'm, I'm, I'll let that rest. And then, I'm trying to think. Um, uh, yeah, I didn't take his detailed okay, notes as okay. you did. Yeah, here's the thing. Okay, and then, I'm trying to think. Oh, let's go to, to the conversion, because I think this is the most important thing. What yeah. did you think about the conversion scene? Christian movies almost always have some kind of conversion scene. They, um, they do. I thought that Kirk Cameron is at his best when he's unhinged, as you yes. were saying. But also when he's being like super emotional. Like he's, he's good. beat down. He is good at being like a downtrodden dude. Yeah. He, and he does that all right. This scene was the first time I actually believed his acting. Yeah. Because ugh, all the dialogue he has throughout is so wooden and like I said it's like an old Spanish video from high school where they're just trying to walk you through the dialogue but this scene he's pretty good at being like emotional under emotional duress although to be fair he's played the conversion scene so many times in his movies he's got experience he's an old pro at this point point. there's always we're we're gonna delve more into the filmography of Kirk Cameron yeah I have we have at least a couple at least one more this season that we wanna do yeah but and then obviously Left Behind is another one yeah so we'll talk more about Kirk Cameron um but he is at his best when he's playing this guy in this scene. 
and I thought he did a pretty good job of it. The conversion scene, I mean, anytime you have a conversion scene in a movie, it's kind of awkward. Yeah, because they have Caleb when his dad asks him, like, again, I, I don't know if he asked him the where are you going question, mm-hmm. but a similar question. And then Caleb makes that every Bible class I ever took in Christian high school or in anything in Sunday school that came, any witnessing class that I, I that was like, if witnessing was the subject about the class, the scenario that we always got was that um, if you ask somebody, are you a good person? They will invariably answer with, well, I do good things. I've never killed anyone. Yeah, right. Which and is so exactly what happens this in this. This is exactly what happens in the movie. Caleb's dad asks him something about himself. Not an overly memorable question. Yeah. But Caleb says, I, I've never, I'm a good person. I've never killed anyone. I Like, I save lives in the fire or mm-hmm. whatever. And then... It's a very emotional scene. Caleb's dad breaks him down with very basic yeah. apologetic arguments. Yeah, that, like, yeah. Um, you know, well, God's standard is so much higher. He's, yeah. He sees, you know, hating your brother as murder or uh, lust as yeah. uh, adultery. It's a, it's a pretty standard. And Kirk Cameron's pretty well known for this because yeah. he was involved with um, Ray Comfort who wrote a book called Hell's Best Kept Secret where he argues that yeah. we should use the law of God when we're evangelizing unbelievers, you know. Uh, and okay. so that's that's this coming into Okay, that. all right. Um, so that's a pretty specific... Like, I I, knew, I could see the moves happening yeah, in right. that scene. It was just... But one thing that I thought... The, the writing isn't great, but when Caleb's complaining about his wife, which I think happens before the actual conversation mm-hmm. about the law... Of God, he says, "How am I supposed to show love to anybody who constantly rejects me?" And it was such a blatant, like, "Hey, you're actually talking about you and God." Scene that, yeah, like if the dialogue had been different, it could have been effective, but it was just so blatant. It was like there was no subtext, which is I know. And this movie doesn't make attempt at subtext at all. It's this is that's probably when we. At the end of season one of this podcast, when we're done with these like modern Christian movies, that's probably a topic we'll come back to. Yeah. Subtext is not a thing in these movies. No. It just doesn't exist. And it's like every single it, – and it, it just waters – yeah, it, it takes hot sauce, makes it into tomato sauce. <laughs> like it, it totally like waters down these issues. It makes them seem much more simple than they actually are. Mm-hmm. And it makes the human soul seem like a much simpler entity than it actually is. Um it was a very lightning convert it was just like that yeah and it, we don't we don't really have any we know that he's talked about these things with some of the brothers at the the, the fire hall like some of his his i don't know his union brothers presumably yeah and he, he he talks about it with them but we don't see that he's really thinking about these things but all of a sudden this scene he just and we're not we're not denying that like obviously we have the the uh, you know Saul on his way to Damascus story like this can happen yeah real I, like I believe conversion is a real thing. I do too but it it really especially with the movie where we're trying to present reality mm-hmm. it really simplifies the whole process a lot and another thing with movies is that you're not really trying to present reality you know mm-hmm. movies and books and storytelling isn't really telling the truth. You're telling a lie that's a good story that, you know, this is going back to subtext, really. No. You're trying to communicate something that you're not really communicating. And this movie doesn't do that at all. It just tells you what it's trying to tell you. No, I think actually 
There's another theme that's going to come up. Stephen King has a quote about this exact thing. Oh, what is it? Do you remember? Um, I think it was fiction or like reading fiction is finding the the truth in the lie. Hmm. And that's fiction yeah. obviously is not true. So on one level it is kind of a lie because you're presenting a story almost as fact, but it didn't actually happen. And so fiction, it's our job to find the truth in that. that it, yeah. Yeah. So this is and there, there's no there's there's nothing to f- look for. Yeah, it's it just all right kind of, there on the page. Yeah, me. and they they use that like metaphor of you know you're just when you break God's law you're spitting in His face. Mm-hmm. I felt slightly that the writers were kind of spitting in my face when they <laughs> they presented this just because it's so like it doesn't leave any kind of there's no interpretation there's nothing that I can interpret about this scene. It's mm-hmm. all like it's. I don't know. You used the word ham-fisted earlier. And yes, I think that's the again, best way to it's it. so ham-fisted. And again, we don't deny that that instantaneous conversion moment. Yeah, that could Like happen. a movie that does it pretty well. Isn't you ever see Sergeant York? You remember oh, that conversion man, scene in that, that movie? Scene. Yeah, like he he's on his mule and then the branch gets struck by lightning and that, it falls by and then he goes to church. Example. Yeah. And then they sing old time religion. It's really good. Yeah. It's and, and there's, there's a whole subtext. lot of subtext yeah, before exactly, that. Exactly. There's stuff to read into. But this movie Oh, that's a that's a perfect example. Oh, I think man. as a Christian I was expecting the conversion scene to come up from his dad. Yeah. But there was no way that anybody that wasn't expecting it could have read into yeah. that situation at all, really. Except for the fact that they're walking in this little area where there's a cross yeah. right there. <laughs> Used to be a summer camp. Yeah. As serious as that scene was intended to be portrayed, the very next scene, and this happens another time at the end of the movie, but the very next scene ruins whatever seriousness may have happened in that scene when... Caleb goes back to the firehouse. Oh yeah, and, and he, he goes to, to, talk Michael. to Michael. Yeah, and he tells him that he became a Christian. He says it in a weirder way than that. Yeah, but he basically lets him know, "Hey, I'm." In. He was like, "Your faith." Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. What is he? Michael's and like? He's like, "You want to be in?" Or you, you are? Yeah, he's like, yeah, no, I'm, "I'm in." And then Michael's response, and this may be the most unfortunate line of the entire movie, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, is you're my brother from another mother. Yeah. Oh. Uh. <laughs> yeah that's it's like one it ruined whatever seriousness may have been like if you've and been building is... up you just ruined everything you were building up to this movie only <laughs> uses the only humor in this movie is through again ham-fisted comic relief and that line I don't even know if that was intended to be comedic I don't, I don't know but I don't know either but it's 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 not. It's not. It wasn't the funny. best way to approach that yeah, at, no, all. at all. But it does bring us to Michael's revelation that he is not in his first marriage. Oh yeah, Michael. Yeah, Michael reveals that, and he's he again. He reveals it so like he's like I don't know. He it comes out that Michael is in his second marriage, and he brings up his first marriage. It was definitely a dun 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 kind of moment mm-hmm. because. We thought Michael was this upstanding guy. So on the one hand, good on them for establishing Michael is not like this perfect yeah, I have, like role model. I've written down in my notes too, this was the best acting in the movie so far. Yeah, okay, Michael. I think so. And throughout the movie, even though Michael has some weird scenes, mm-hmm. I think he has the most consistently believable yep. performance throughout the whole thing. Yeah, he, he is probably the most realistic character. He took some too. lines and he delivered them yeah. fairly well. Yeah. He... 
He he worked with what he had to work with. I think you might. I don't know if you'd agree with this or not, but I think Caleb's dad and Michael are the two most like realistic human beings in the movie. Like they they've gone through some stuff. Yeah, and they're working through the stuff that they've gone through. Yeah, and it does. I mean, they portray them as having arrived now. Yeah, but they they actually have like you. They're real characters. They're real yeah. people. At least they appear that way. And then. Anything else about this scene? I was going to jump ahead to the fire, fire scene, like the where where Kirk Cam- another unhinged Cameron scene. Oh yeah, I didn't where, even write anything down about that. Yeah, That's okay. Good... So there is a fire, and the fire department shows up, and they go to this family, and they're like, "Is everybody out of the house?" And like, "Yeah, our daughter's over at her friends." And then her friend runs up, and she's like, like yelling, and as a you know, as a kid actor does, and she's like, "No, she's not at our house. We thought she came back here." Yeah, she says, "I was just on the phone with her." Yeah, right. So we establish that, uh oh, this family's daughter's in the burning house. So Kirk Cameron just takes his axe and he goes in again. This is I don't know if it's an allusion to The Shining, but Cameron is unhinged with an axe. One he, wonders though. Did he just leave his partner behind? Uh-oh. Yeah, I think Kirk Cameron did leave his partners behind. Because he just ran in and there. And he ran into the building with his axe before they, you know, got the hose yep. situate, situated. And he goes, he searches, he finds the daughter passed out. She's about six or seven, passed out in her room. And there's there are, it's blazing all around them. And man, he gets his axe and he chops the floor to bits. And it's unhinged Cameron again. Yeah. He is... He's getting. He's Kirk channeling Nicholas Cage at his yes, wildest. Yes, he is channeling <laughs> wild Nicholas Cage through these axe strokes, where he beats through the floor a hole big enough to go under. Um, it's a one-story house, so he goes under into the crawl space beneath the house, and the house begins to collapse. And then some fiery debris falls through the hole that he's just made, but he pulls her out just in the nick of time. Yeah. This was a, Which is foreshadowing for the rest of the movie because yeah. he, he pulls somebody out of the fire oh, just okay. in the nick of time, right? Hey, I didn't yeah. yeah. But to be fair, this was like the only time watching this movie, and I hate to say this, this was the only time where like I felt the dramatic tension of the movie. Mm. I was like, is this going to happen? Is he going to make it out? Okay, yeah. Like, I wasn't I sure either because, yeah, because we could have had that, yeah. Like, it, I, like, this was the only time where I was like, I'm invested in what's happening. Yeah, exactly. Invested in Caleb and what's going to happen mm-hmm. to him. And the kid. Unfortunately, I didn't feel that strongly about the rest of the, <laughs> and the, the serious plots that he's involved in. But this one, I was like, oh, man, I hope Caleb makes it out. Yeah. And he does. Yeah. And then, okay, he goes to the hospital. Is this... Yeah. Is there anything else that happens after that besides him saving... I don't remember I don't, any, I don't like... Know. I think it kind of just cuts to the hospital. And he's there, and his wife works at the hospital. So Catherine comes into the room. Mm-hmm. All she says to him is... You look terrible. <laughs> Almost in this tone that's kind of insulting. Also, not just like, oh, not like, oh my gosh, you look terrible. It's, yeah. hmm, you look terrible. And then the doctor says, it, is I, it Dr. Keller? I think it is. I think it I is, yeah. So Dr. Keller is treating Caleb's first degree burns. This is Gavin we're talking about. Yeah, Gavin is treating Caleb's burns. And he says, oh, you can stay if you like. But Catherine's like, no, I think you got it, doctor. And then she leaves, right? I mean, it, it takes a couple of lines of dialogue for her to leave, yeah. but she does. She says, no, I think you got it. So she leaves her burned up husband where he is, which... I So the first time I watched... Well, I only watched it once. Oh, okay. I was going to say, Ben, twice. But, but on, on, on watching it, 
I didn't realize until later that Gavin was the doctor treating him. And so I was like, wow, she's a real jerk to her husband. But now that I think about it, it sort of makes sense because this is the guy she's been okay. flirting with. Yeah, it is. Okay, that so is true. It is he wants weird. her to stay to hang out with him, not realizing perhaps conflict of loyalty. She doesn't know yeah. who she stands with. Well, no, I don't think the doctor knew that this was her husband. Oh. And so he's like, hey, why don't you stay? Oh, yeah, because that would establish the later scene where there's the confrontation yeah. between Gavin and Caleb. That, But maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't remember. You might be right, though. I don't I don't know. There's no reason for the doctor to know who Caleb is. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I think, yeah. So I think that is the first time that Gavin ever encounters Caleb. Okay, that explains Catherine's skittishness a lot more. Yeah, I didn't that's even think about that. Okay, well, it's not that's not too bad. Um, oh, we haven't talked about the hospital equipment. Oh yeah, yeah, the hospital. Okay, so, I saw that coming from a mile yeah, away. Catherine's but. Catherine's parents are very old. She establishes that they had her when they were older, yeah. and so now that she's. 30 or 40, we don't... Yeah, I, I don't know. Somewhere. Yeah, somewhere between 30 and 40. She's middle-aged. Yeah. Her parents are old and having... Her dad is having trouble taking care of her mom who has had a stroke. Yeah. And she needs... Again, back to the exposition dialogue. This is established very early on in the movie when Catherine gives very explicit detail about her mom's stroke, stroke to people that already know that they had a stroke. Yeah. So, um... You want to fill us in on this, Ben? What yeah, happened? So... so uh, sick parents there's a lot to this too actually this is a thread that runs through the movie because Caleb wants to buy a boat and he's been saving up for it the boat yeah we Caleb to wants to buy a boat. boat too so he, he's hungry he's not a very nice guy and he likes to, to sail yeah. on a boat apparently or wants to sail on a boat and so he's been saving up for this and this is one of the things that she brings up as a problem in their marriage is that he's saving up for this boat and so not spending money on things that they need around the house and they, they i think they establish that they're under some kind of financial strain yeah. or just maybe not budgeting i don't know there's some yeah. something with their finances and that, he doesn't think that they yeah. need the money for whatever mm-hmm. she wants to spend it on but getting a boat is not going to help anything no yeah, we can really, make that clear but caleb is just not he, a nice guy yeah, he's he is a very selfish guy yeah it's it's fair to say that so anyway Catherine, I believe her name is. Yeah, it's Catherine, right? Catherine. Catherine wants to buy some medical equipment for her parents to make it easier to take care of her mom in her house. And she lets Dr. Gavin know about this. Dr. Keller. Yeah. I, I'd call him Gavin because yeah. I just have no respect for this person. Yeah. And we're on a first name basis at this point. We yeah. know who he is. We know yeah. him well we know, we know what he's we about. Call, yeah. We can call him by his first name. So she mentions this not so subtly to Gavin in a conversation at some point. And then she goes to the hospital to pick up some things for her parents. And the person working at the hospital is like, Oh, is everything working out? Okay. With all of this hospital equipment. And Catherine is just shocked that this equipment was paid for by somebody. And she believes that it was Gavin because she just told him about it. And so she walks away from the hospital uh, the lady talking to her in just she's just emotionally overwhelmed by this thing that Gavin did and so she like comes up to him and is like grabs his hand I think and yeah. she's like very friendly with him and, and he's like oh it's no problem at all which I'll, I'll come back to that anyway as we get to this point in the movie where we're actually talking about now it comes to light that in fact Gavin had only given about $300 towards the which... equipment which is nice. No, but 
I don't understand. How much is the? It's like ten thousand bucks. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. Why did he? I don't like. Like, how did he give three hundred dollars? Like, I don't understand. So he gives three hundred dollars. He just like says to the hospital, "This is three hundred dollars for." I would guess. I don't. I don't understand I don't that because there's no bill yet, right? Like, oh, yeah, that's why did he get like? And if Caleb's buying it, how has Doctor Keller contributed three hundred dollars to it? I don't. Yeah, that's it's that's never answered. It doesn't come up. Yeah, and it's it's confusing. And three hundred dollars isn't. I mean, he's a he's a doctor. <laughs> I don't know. I may. I don't know. Maybe I'm buddy I don't think he's invested in this relationship. He's not invested in it because he gives three hundred dollars to this really big thing that Catherine needs. I don't like. I don't, you may be overthinking it. I don't know if I am because I think that three hundred dollars. It's almost like a, an unkind amount to give. I don't because there's nobody else giving. Yeah. So maybe I. Uh, you would think that Gavin saw himself as maybe the only person to like. He's trying to prove himself to Catherine. Yeah, like he true. wants, he wants Catherine. Yeah. And you would think to prove himself, he would have done a bigger thing. But his three hundred bucks. <laughs> even I could have contributed three hundred bucks to that. And I, <laughs> I don't, I don't make doctor money. You don't have med school bills. I, I yeah. That. Uh-huh. Hmm. That's true. But this, yeah. But I think we're getting tired. Anyway, it comes to light towards the climax of the movie. That, in fact, Caleb had taken the money he'd saved up for his boat and given it to the hospital to pay yeah. for. And the scene where he kind of decides to not get a boat. Do you remember this? Oh, yeah. He's looking at a boat on the internet. Yeah. And then a That's pop-up it. appears on the screen. <laughs> now, again, to go along with the theme of Caleb not being a nice guy, he's clicking on these, like, you know, inappropriate pop-ups that come up. <laughs> oh, boy. Dude. Those are full of viruses, if I'm not mistaken, right? I mean, that's always like the worst possible option. Again, is like to click on a link like that because they are not going to be kind to you, to you or to the computer. He's again, he's not a nice guy. He's, I don't know. I, I, I maybe I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I, just, I don't think we want to talk too much about proper porn etiquette, right? And I, I don't want to advocate for that even at all, but. But clicking pop-up ads, no matter and, what yeah, you're doing, right. Any is kind never of a good pop-up idea. ad is a bad yeah. is a bad decision. But and it kind of establishes that he's been clicking on these things, and it, it's wreaking. There's probably so much spyware on that computer. Yeah, yeah, there is. There's probably so much. And then, but then he makes the decision. He exits exits out of it. Good for Caleb. Yeah. Maybe he is a little bit of a nice guy. And then he realizes at that point. The, Looking at the boat. The boat is the idol in his life. Yeah. Not the yeah. porn so much. Yeah. And so... This, then, is, this is another Mr. Um, yeah. Rudolph? Uh, Caleb... Is it Rudolph? Mr. Rudolph. Uh, yeah, this so is Caleb, Rudolph This scene. is when Caleb grabs the computer. And bashes. Okay, yeah. Caleb has issues. Like, obviously, his addiction runs deep with certain things on the computer because he... It's established by his wife... And several times and we see when he's on the computer but earlier in the film that he doesn't have a good relationship with his computer and certain content on the internet but then he takes the computer and destroys it yeah now so this didn't this scene didn't really bother me that much because I've known guys who've actually done that because they had porn issues and but that's like just that. a gesture he could still go down right. to the five and dime and buy a magazine there's <laughs> 
somebody goes to the five and dime? I know. I'm just. I'm just presenting. I'm just. It's a generic situation. I'm. I'm presenting a generic situation, just like this movie has presented many generic yeah, situations. Right. I'm just, you know, following I think, in the thread. I, I. I was okay with it one because I've known people in real life who like they're like I need to get you this know what thing out of I my life. I have two. They. It's but it's a gesture at best. Yeah. Uh, I mean, removal of the. Okay, so if you're a drug addict, okay, this is, you don't sit with a bag of drugs, you know, in your living room and just let it sit there and not use it. You get rid of the drugs. Right. And so for him, that was his getting rid of the drugs moment. That That's the way I saw it. So I didn't really but have an issue with that scene. Again, though, this raises the issue. That <laughs> yes, the, he could have the, gone over to Mr. Rudolph's no, and bought no, no, drugs no, off no, of him. No, 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 no. But, this raises the issue, though. The only reason Caleb has purchased a computer <laughs> is for boats <laughs> and pornography, <laughs> and he has put it in the most nondiscreet place ever. This is another, this is again the issue I have with like, I think the only reason this guy has a computer at all is for that because he destroys it. So obviously, Catherine doesn't <laughs> yeah, the need the computer. She's Catherine not as phased by destroying Yeah, something. Catherine doesn't need it for work. He doesn't need it for work. He doesn't need it for anything. And obviously he is committed to not buying a boat. Yeah. So he doesn't need the internet anymore. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's, I don't know. There's some discrepancy there. I, I think I understood it as the getting rid of the drugs moment. Yeah. He, I understood. He flushed with the, the drugs down the toilet. Yeah. The movie was getting at that. But I just, <laughs> I am wary to establish that that scene has created any kind of definite hope for that problem. Yeah, Because okay. I think it's a gesture at best. All right. But you disagree. I, I'll agree to disagree. Uh, <laughs> one of our favorite phrases. Ben loves the phrase, agree to disagree. Or it is what it is. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so far in the movie, it is what it is. And so he destroys the computer, and Mr. Rudolph is standing outside yeah. his house, and he sees Caleb destroys the computer with a baseball bat, mm-hmm. which... He doesn't play baseball. <laughs> I don't know why. They maybe it's self defense. Maybe it's home defense. Yeah, that could be. So okay, Caleb gets his home defense baseball bat, and he destroys the true thing that is destroying his home with the baseball bat. And then Mr. Rudolph, the neighbor, is standing outside watering the garden. I think. Yes. And he says, "Oh, hi, Mr. Rudolph." And Mr. Rudolph says, "Caleb." And that's the extent of their interactions throughout the whole movie. But again, that's happened I, a couple of times. Too. I, yeah, I want to know who Mr. Rudolph is. This is another theme, I think, in some of the movies we're going to watch, is the side character who probably has the most interesting story out of oh, everybody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe I'm reading too much into who Mr. Rudolph is, but this happens again, and when we eventually get to the Buttercream Gang as well, there's a character in that movie who we want more of. He is the of. Mr. Rudolph yeah. of uh, Oak Ridge. Elk Ridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want more Mr. Rudolph, and I want it now. But they don't provide that. They yeah. just have this side character who, pretty gruff guy. He has seen some stuff. Yeah. And they, there's no way that they have been bad neighbors before. Like Mr. Rudolph seems disdained with the way they're acting, but yeah, you would think he would just be more. In- it would have, it would have been interesting if they established Mr. Rudolph as more of a Wilson character, like from Home Improvement, or the Michael of this movie. Yeah, or yeah, or if they made him the Michael, where yeah. Mr. Rudolph was Caleb's confidant instead of Michael, which Michael did a good job, but this Mr. Rudolph character deserves some exploration, <laughs> and the writers did not pursue that, unfortunately. But, and yeah. then, 
So Caleb exits out of this link that pops up, right? And so yeah. he decides to not buy the boat as well. So he sort of he sort of defeats these two things that are ailing his marriage. And then I'm trying to think of other scenes that come up after that. What's interesting about that scene too? I just thought of this. He doesn't and maybe this is a good thing for the movie. Maybe maybe you'll see it differently, but I I don't know how to think about it. But he doesn't like have a moment where he goes and prays and then decides to get rid of it. He's just like struck. Yeah. He has this internal struggle. He's like, am I going to go this way or this way? And he decides to go the right way. Mm. And it's not like this big religious experience. Right. Moment. Yeah. But I mean, the scene itself sort of is like mm-hmm. there is that, huge there's, religious there's, connotations. There's subtext. Maybe there is subtext. Yeah. yeah. That scene does have subtext yeah, because that's he, a, he makes that decision, just destroys it. And he doesn't say that he's going to, and he doesn't, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. That is a scene where there is some subtext to what he does, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll give him We'll give him a little credit there. Yeah, benefit of the doubt. Well, I guess there's no doubt. It was, I guess it was actually subtext. So, yeah. yeah, we're just giving him the benefit. Yeah. All right. Do you, Is I feel like we've beat that scene like Yeah, well, do you want to move on? Computer. Okay, so this continues. The next scene that I have written down is the confrontation between Caleb and Gavin. Do you have anything? I don't have anything. Okay, so the movie progresses more of the same scenes about how the marriage is struggling, which at this point kind of beating a dead horse because I think we're close to an She's filing for divorce. Yeah, okay, yeah, and she is filing for divorce. And so Caleb, okay, he replaces the computer with a bouquet of roses. Where the computer said he puts a bouquet of roses and then Catherine comes home and sees the bouquet of roses but then when Caleb gets home from his firehouse shift, she has put the divorce papers yep. on the table, yep. which in a plain white envelope, what other movies have shown me, and I don't know if this is actually the case because I've never filed, is that divorce papers I thought came in like a, a fancier envelope. I don't know. It seemed like she put that, like she took the papers. But why did she take I it out of the fancy it. envelope? Because they wanted us to think that she was going to write like an apology letter or something because it is okay. the envelope he yeah, wrote for her okay. with the roses. Was... Is she being mean? No. Is I... she taking a page out of the book of Caleb <laughs> and just being not a nice person and putting those in what looks like a love letter envelope instead of the fancy yellow one? That I have watched a lot of movies and I, I yeah. am fairly convinced and adamant that Divorce is often served in the big yellow f- yeah. rectangle envelope. It's possible. I think it was more of just a movie-making decision than mm. an actual character decision. Like, she... It was the white envelope from him with the roses, white envelope okay. from her with the divorce paper. How mean was that? <laughs> it's pretty mean. Okay. So, Catherine seems to be starting to fight... She's she's fighting dirty fire at this point. With Whoa. fire. Oh, all right. Ew. <laughs> so, okay, there's that, too. So... That's another scene where obviously their marriage isn't going as well. And then we cut eventually to Caleb makes the decision to go to the hospital because he... How does he find he, out about he, Gavin? He's cleaning up her room. Oh, yeah. Okay, he's doing a good letter. thing by cleaning the house yeah. as part of his 40-day challenge. And he finds a card that Gavin... Like a nice, like, I care about you card that it's Gavin... It's signed Love Gavin, too. Okay, that's right. So he finds a Love Gavin card... We should start this as a trend instead of like Dear John letters, like <laughs> Love Gavin, Gavin cards. <laughs> yeah, so she, he, he finds a Love Gavin card and he decides to go to the hospital and confront Gavin. So he goes to Gavin's office yeah. and he says, Dr. Dr. Keller? And Dr. Keller says, yes. 
But I guess he still doesn't know who. Yeah. And I, I can't. And I guess they establish in the movie that Caleb is so burnt and covered with soot when he first meet, meets Doctor Gavin oh, that Doctor Gavin doesn't recognize who he maybe. is, or he just doesn't know. And he has a lot of patience. Yeah. Uh, we'll give Gavin the benefit of the doubt. He doesn't remember who. I'm not giving him anything. Okay. So uh, either way, he doesn't remember who Caleb is, and then Caleb says, "I am Caleb." Well, I don't remember what their last name is. Caleb um, Smith. Uh, it's uh, Holt or something like that. It's an H. Oh, it is Holt. Is yeah. it Holt? I think it is Holt. <laughs> he says, I'm Caleb Holt. And then I think the doctor makes the, the, the connection. Yeah. But this is, he's like, oh boy. Yeah, but he, and then and then he's like, oh, well, what do you want? He, he was really nonchalant but about But weird it. about the dialogue, though, Caleb says, I know, he's like, um, I know you're trying to win my wife. Oh, yeah. And then, so but then he's, then he says, but I'm trying to win her too. And I've been married to her longer, so I guess that gives me a head start. Which seems to be advocating for Catherine's behavior. Because the, the, the movie, I will say this at the end, after the movie ends too, when we get to that point. Yeah, the movie does not, the movie cuts Catherine so many breaks. Oh, yeah. And this, I feel like this scene kind of establishes like, oh, Catherine, she doesn't, she's caught between these two guys and she doesn't know what she's doing. And so... Um, yeah, you're right. About Caleb that, is, has the attitude that he still has to win his wife somehow, which, yes, the marriage is struggling and he does have to, but I don't think he should feel the need to say this to some guy that Catherine has not known for that long. Yeah, and it's not like they're not like running a race here, and yeah. Caleb has a little bit of a head start. Yeah. This dude is encroaching on a marriage. And then how does he represent his marriage? Do you remember this? This is the best oh, yeah. unhinged Cameron. <laughs> he says, and. I'm married. Yeah, so he, he holds up. His, yeah, he, he holds out his left fist with his ring finger prominent in the fist and holds it up to Doctor Keller's face, and then he leaves the room, and Doctor Keller opens up a drawer and pulls out his own wedding, wedding ring and holds it up to his finger for a moment, and then, then he's like, away. "Nah." He like visibly shakes his head. Couple things going on. We find out that Gavin is a married man, which makes him even more of a snake than he was oh, at yeah. the beginning of the Such movie. Such a scumbag. And he's still going to pursue Catherine? Is that what we can get yeah, from I this decision that's... to not put well, the ring on? Yeah, I don't know, because he, that's the last scene that Gavin's in. Yeah, that's his last scene. Yeah, that's anymore. true. So, I don't know what the scene was trying to set up. It was almost like he was like, maybe I should be a faithful husband too. And then he's like, nah. And then after this scene... But the best part about yeah. the, the fist scene is like it was obviously a threat. I'm going to beat the crap out of you. Uh, like, he holds up his fist, like... Yeah. Caleb gets violent. Yeah. They're, Kirk Cameron just went Kirk off. Cameron unhinged. Do you think that was improvised? Oh, I I hope it was. Uh, man, we got to get him on the phone sometime <laughs> and ask him, was that moment improvised? There, because uh, if we it could've... seems like it really could have been, because those there's nothing violent in the rest of the movie. Well, except Caleb in other scenes where he's almost going to beat his wife. Yeah. Unhinged Kirk Cameron. But, I mean, as far that as, like, the direct place. threat of physical violence... Yeah, that's true. I wonder if Kirk Cameron was like, hey, guys. Let me do this. Let me, yeah. <laughs> what if I hold my fist up with my wedding ring on it? And I think... I don't know. I'd like to think that it was improvised at any rate. And then, does the next scene when Catherine talks to Anna, the lady who's been watching her yeah. emotionally... Yeah. This scene is so <laughs> weird. Because Catherine sits down at the table alone because Dr. Keller's not going to join her. Oh, that's Remember, right. She has a conversation. Yeah, Dr. Keller yeah. establishes after the confrontation that he can't see Catherine for lunch. Yes. But he doesn't give a reason. But we all know it's because he met with yeah. Caleb and he doesn't want anything to do with that maybe anymore. And so Catherine sits down at the regular table 
And this lady named Catherine comes up. Now, Catherine has been established. No. Not Catherine. Anna. 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 Sorry. Anna comes up to Catherine's spot at the table. And Anna has been established in the movie as a bystander who has been observing Catherine's behavior with Dr. Keller. And not being very approving of it. Yeah. And this confrontation is so strange. I, I forgot about this. And I'm trying to think. Oh, man. Okay. Anna sits down. And asks how Catherine, Catherine is doing. And Catherine says, well, it's just one of those years. <laughs> and what I love about that statement is there's no doubt when someone says it's one of those years, nobody's going to ask, oh, like, what are the good ones? <laughs> like, she establishes that she is not having a good year at all. And then Anna says, oh, do you mean a good one or a bad one? <laughs> and it's not like she doesn't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so she's just baiting this conversation. And then she finally... Uh, oh, and then, no, the, the best part is Catherine is like, okay, I just, I have decisions to make. And Anna asks, well, have you decided what path to take? <laughs> and then I immediately thought of our, our uh, American hero, Robert Frost. Oh, yes, the road less traveled. Two roads diverge in a wood. I don't know the rest of it, but... Uh, I was I, hoping you I, could recite it for but us. The, no, I can't. My wife can, surprisingly. I'm the more like English-minded yeah, person in the relationship. But when we were watching this movie, I said, this reminds me of that Robert Frost poem. She was and like... She just quoted it? Was, she quoted the entire thing from yeah. memory from like seventh grade. <laughs> I was wooed. And so... You were getting a master's degree. Yes, I, I am... Yeah, that is when I began my master's studies on Cindy. <laughs> And so, Anna's asking these questions. She pulls no punches. She oh, asks, yeah. well, is it is it a good year or a bad year? And then finally, she asks, well, have you decided what path you're going to take? But then she brings up Catherine's issue. Yeah. Anna is not letting Catherine lead the conversation, which I think rule number one, when you're trying to have a conversation like that with someone, you have to let them lead it. Mm -hmm. And she is not doing that. And she pulls no punches, has no reservations. Yeah, she's like, is and she this brings about up, that is doctor? this about you and Doctor yeah. Keller? And Catherine is like, oh, what? And Anna says, well, I couldn't help but notice that you two were yeah. getting along very well. <laughs> and then finally, Catherine says, well, I don't think I want to talk about this. And then Anna says, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't want to pry. <laughs> Okay. Which the entire basis of that conversation is to pry. She pries the entire time, but then says, oh, I'm sorry. I don't know if they're trying to get us to feel bad for Anna or view her as some kind of hero, but she's just not handling the situation no. very well. Should she have said something? I think she was she yeah. was right in saying something, yeah. but not like she, that. she lies about the kind of conversation that she's trying to have with Catherine, and Catherine can see right through that. Mm -hmm. Anna is just... Trying and trying to bait the conversation. I uh, I don't know. Uh, that character didn't really need to exist. And then, then they show the shot, I think, soon after that, that the roses that Kurt got to replace... They're uh, all wilting. Caleb got. Yeah. yeah, they're wilting. I couldn't help but think of Beauty and the Beast. Remember that? Mm. So, you haven't seen Beauty and the Beast. I've seen it once. Okay. You remember near the end of it when... Um, uh, there's that tension of whether or not uh, Belle is going to actually choose the beast over the townspeople or whatever when they're raiding the castle. They show the scene of one of the last flower petals hmm. falling off. And when know. the last flower petal falls, that means that the beast remains a beast. 
So I think we have some Disney oh, imagery here. Right. They bring in Beauty and the Beast, and I see what you did there, Kirk Cameron. I was thinking it was just the whole conversation that happened earlier in the movie where he's like, if you, oh. you know, if you take oh, yeah. care of the roses. Oh, yeah, maybe it was that. Maybe it wasn't <laughs> Disney. Yeah, maybe you're right. Could have been both. Oh, yeah, maybe it's both. I'd like to think that it's both. And then... Okay, and then they have, like, the musical scene where they have Kirk Cameron just kind of sitting on the fire truck. <laughs> Do you remember that? They're playing, I don't know, I don't, I don't was, know if it was uh, Casting Crowns or some other yeah, Christian band is playing a song. And Kirk Cameron's just sitting around the firehouse. I was hoping he would do a Footloose thing and start, like, dancing around the firehouse. I was praying <laughs> that he might do that, but he unfortunately did not. Uh, and then it shows scenes of him working really hard mm -hmm. and the rest of the firefighters standing around just talking while they're supposed to be saving people out of a fire. Remember? He's turning that heavy thing all by himself in the fire hydrant and Eric and Brian and the other guy are all standing around the fire hydrant just like joking and having oh, a good time. I, no, I'm pretty sure that was like training. Oh. What? Because they oh, have him going they up have the Jake, ladder. Okay, this is another thing. They have Eric climbing up that ladder too. Is that Jacob imagery? Is that imagery for like the Jake like ladder in the Bible when Jacob sees the ladder up to heaven? Mm -hmm. I, I didn't take it what, that way. What else could have been the purpose of watching that scene though? It's just showing, you know, fireman things happening. Fire person. Why? Why are they showing that? <laughs> are they trying to represent like Kirk Cameron is in training to be a better husband? Is or, that the point? I think it was just to show time passing. Like I, I don't think the scene needed know, but to be it, there. I don't know. But couldn't they have shown time passing some... I don't know. It seemed... Again, it seemed kind of ham-fisted and kind of... Yeah, I don't think that scene needed to be there, really. Okay. We are... Yeah, okay, we... Yeah. Um, uh, Caleb climbs trees, too. Again, I thought of like, Footloose and... I don't know. He just seems to be very angsty. I may have checked out at this point, but... Okay, but let's skip to the scene where Catherine's sick. Yeah, that's Because that's this the is real... maybe my favorite scene of the <laughs> yeah. entire movie. Uh, Legitimately, I mm -hmm. think it is my favorite scene. Kate, or Catherine is sick because a she's not feeling well because of the whole Gavin situation, yeah, and and the whole conversation with Anna. But I think she does actually have like a cold or something. She has a fever at least. Yeah, and so she's lying in her bed. Kirk Cameron comes into her room. Sorry, Caleb comes into her room and says, um, "Are you all right?" Blah blah blah. Yeah. And what does she say? She's like, "I'm fine." Yeah. Which realistic dialogue, but the most stereotypical thing for a woman to say when she's not fine. Again, I think there was some kind of ham-fistedness with that dialogue because okay. Kirk Cameron goes out and gets her some stuff from the store. But what store does Kirk Cameron go? Sorry, Caleb, go to. Oh, this is amazing. Chick Fil A. He comes back into the room with a bag of Chick Fil A. Uh, I just feel like I literally the only time I stopped the movie. Was this theme? Yeah, because I had to rewind. And I was like, "Is that actually Chick Fil A?" Yeah, me too. And I was like, "Is this is this a fake brand or is this actually Chick Fil A?" A greatest product placement yes, in a movie. It was amazing. Because this is the one time I've ever watched product placement where I was like, "This had to be in this movie." Yeah, it was, you it couldn't just have made this sense. movie without Chick Fil A. It's set in the South. If, if and if he had come in with McDonald's, he'd yeah. have been like, oh, "Okay," but he gets Chick Fil A, and I just know that like somehow there's some kind of subliminal message to. People trying to get a good husband. Like, if you have a good husband, he's going to bring you Chick-fil-A. So you just know, even if the movie didn't intend it, the viewers of the movie are like, okay, now he's, he's a good guy. Yeah. He brought her Chick-fil-A. This is the scene where all the teenage girls are like, oh. yeah, hearts were melted and um, yeah, hearts were melted and tears were shed. Kirk brought her Chick-fil-A. So that, oh man. I'm sorry. <laughs> you, it, at this point, it's hard to distinguish. It is. It is hard to distinguish. 
It's getting kind of meta, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. This scene also had my favorite moment of Kirk Cameron's acting. Uh, legitimately. Like, oh yeah, he breaks down yeah, the, and he apologizes. The, the apology it is a pretty scene, good scene was really good. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, okay, this is good acting here. Yeah, it was. It was and again, it's again, Kirk Cameron broken down. Kirk Cameron he, playing a broken down yep. guy. He's good at Not that. Not bad. Yeah. Unhinged and broken down Cameron are both phenomenal. And he, he does have both of these in this movie. And this scene is very good where he breaks down in front of his wife and... The, the nobody expects Catherine to say anything. the movie doesn't leave expectation for Catherine to say anything she doesn't say anything no she just is yeah. crying I think yeah and she hears him and then um, no no she says she says um, like I don't know if I can trust you okay and, okay. Uh, and I don't know how to process okay this. okay alright yeah. let's talk about this can we ex- address the irony of Catherine telling Caleb <laughs> that she can't trust him she's been having an emotional affair with a guy at her workplace and she says she can't trust him but and I don't know if Caleb was right or wrong for not bringing that up maybe it wouldn't have been the best time yeah, right there to bring that, that up would have been a bad but that's time. never addressed again yeah that's true she's crying and nobody brings it up I feel like this movie lets Catherine off the hook by just honestly um affirming what Caleb said early in the movie that she's just emotional. Hmm. I think this movie lets her and women off the hook by just feeding into this this stereotypical thing they're trying to avoid people saying. Interesting. Yeah, that's what I thought is that there, I, I felt like as a viewer I was expected to think, oh, she's just emotional and sad right now. Like She shouldn't have to be responsible for huh. having... Obviously, it takes two to tango. Yeah. And both of them had to have had some role in that. Obviously, they're so overt with Caleb's role in the whole thing. But Catherine can't be trusted. Yeah. She breaches trust with that thing with Gavin. But Caleb doesn't seem... But Caleb knows. I don't... But I don't understand why that's not addressed again. Because if it was like a healthy marriage, that would be addressed. Like, yeah. I know what's been going on with this doctor. And I want to... <laughs> I'm just trying to think if they how they could have done that in the movie without... like. Making the movie too long and having too many endings, and it did have endings, didn't it? Yeah. Like, um, I don't know. I don't know how they could have done it. But, but that's a really it's good a point. Big issue that they don't address. Although it, it's sort of in yeah. like like yeah, they in don't their, talk about it. Like the porn subplot, kind of, and they never really, they don't really resolve that. I know. I well, we can debate whether I, yeah, or not they resolve that issue. I guess, but I feel that there were a couple big issues they didn't resolve. Catherine's potential like i mean not infidelity but yeah. i mean sort of we could call it emotional infidelity is not addressed ever again yeah and while i will say that caleb obviously in the movie at least has the most obvious flaws in the marriage i don't think they did a good job of bringing the whole thing into perspective because we let Catherine off the hook for having this emotional thing and caleb knows about it and obviously his apology is a terrible time to bring that up yeah but right it should have been brought up at some point but like you said I guess it would have been. We didn't need this movie to be any longer than it was. I mean, it was only what two hours. It was two hours, man. I thought I remembered it being like ninety minutes, and then when I got to about the hour mark, I was like, okay, we got we're getting somewhere, but it was halfway. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that apology scene that that was really the high point of the movie for me. Yeah. Like once once that happened, I was like, okay. And then everybody becomes a Christian. Yeah. And again, we're not denying that these conversion things happen but it just it's it the way they present the conversion it it seeks to kind of steamroll over all these issues that they have Mm -hmm. because becoming a christian isn't going to change some of those i mean caleb is not 
I don't like they just present him as like this nice guy in 40 days, but dude, he is not a nice guy. He has a lot. Nobody addresses his personality through the entire movie either. <laughs> yeah, Even his dad doesn't that. address his personality through the whole thing. Although, at, in the end of the movie, they do sort of with the way he's been treating his mom. Mm, okay, yeah. So, okay. Sort of. Sort of. That's true. Uh, I guess they bring mm. that around a little bit. But you're right. They don't really talk about his. No, he has glaring like personality flaws that are going to take time. But I, I do think I know it, plenty of Christian guys that act like that. Yeah, you know they're not nice guys. I do think that's probably the most important thing we've said so far is that the conversion, like if, if you're a Christian and you're listening to this, the conversion doesn't just cha- you know immediately no, change. But you into I a th- yeah, they treated the the conversion like it made people less human. Yeah. It sort of like took away part of their, the bad part of their humanity, and that's not how it yeah, works. That work there's, still, there's still a lot of issues they have to work through, but then this movie kind of steamrolls over everything. Mm-hmm. All the things that the couple should be talking about, they never talk about again. And this is another theme of, you know, like, you want to talk about like Christian repression? This movie affirms it. They just say, okay, we don't have to talk about that anymore. Yeah. But they do. They have to talk about it. Yeah. They have a lot of <laughs> you issues. You sound like you're losing through. your voice. <laughs> I, maybe I am a little bit. I don't know. I'm a teacher, so I talk all week, and then this is added on to that yeah. vocal duress. <laughs> um, so, as we approach the end of the movie, I think, have you pretty much covered what you want to cover? I think so, too. The, the final scene of reconciliation between mm-hmm. them. I didn't think it was so bad. It had all of the all of the sort of stereotypes of a romantic comedy yeah. or a romantic movie where the... You know, the guy, you had me at hello or whatever. You right, know, it had yeah. that. But then it was ruined by the last line of that segment, which really bothered but, me. You know, what was that last line? It was, is it too late to ask you to grow old with me? Like, she had all of these things where, like, if I never told you that this, yeah. I am. And if I never told you that I love you, then I do. And it was, I thought it was actually pretty well written. And then she ended with that line. I was like, oh, really? I know. It's, oh. But... That, I mean, the movie's full of writing like that, so it was sad yeah. to see it ruin one of the high points. Yeah, but that was pretty much all I want to say. the The conclusion of the movie ends with everything's happy at the. Um, I forget their last name. Yeah, and we don't. We just there's no resolution for all those issues. They Every, just push them under the rug. Everybody's happy. Uh, we find out that the dad actually was the one in their relationship who won oh. the divorce. Yeah, and then the mom, Kirk, I'm sorry, Caleb's mom did the 40-day challenge on the dad, which was a bit of a plot twist at the end. Yeah, and that's sort why of Caleb felt through. like he had to apologize to his mom because he doesn't like women. Kirk, or Caleb doesn't like women very much in this movie because he uses all kinds of like stereotypical arguments against them. And he doesn't like his... Every time his mom talks, he's mad at her. Well, I, I think... So I think this was sort of a subplot through the movie that... Like, he thinks that his mom was the one ruining his dad's relationship, just like his wife is the one ruining his relationship. Uh, it's his, okay. it's, that's his twisted perspective hmm. on things. And then as he, um, you know, repairs the relationship with his wife, he finds out that he was actually wrong, and it was his dad that was the problem. And so he's sort of realizing that what's true in his own life was true of his parents. He was the problem, just yeah. like his dad was the problem. Right. And so he goes to apologize hmm. to his mom. Yeah. Uh, so he does have a little bit of growth. Yeah, but I that suppose. that sort of sums up the movie. Then there's salt and pepper on the cake to go back to oh, the salt yeah, and that's pepper right, metaphor right, that Michael presented to Caleb. Yeah. Now, 
Okay, I think we've gone through the movie. I just had a couple questions I wanted to ask about the movie. Some of them we already covered, like what truth did you find in this movie? I think we covered some of those. Like, yeah. I think we've adequately covered things that we did like and dislike throughout the movie and things that were yeah. more honest than the movie as a whole. Okay, but should this movie have been made? <laughs> yeah, but it should have been made better. Okay. Uh, I think it, the premise is good. So this is one of the things I was thinking about. I read an article a few years ago about the Dark Knight trilogy. Mm -hmm. Batman Begins, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises. And the writer, I don't think they were a Christian. Maybe they were, I can't remember. But they were talking about the fact that that series takes place in a world where religion just doesn't exist. There's no religious oh, yeah, symbolism. Yeah. There's no religious references. There's no religion. I think it was probably a conscious choice on Nolan, Christopher Nolan's part to do that. Mm -hmm. And and so I don't think there's a problem with movies that have explicit, you know, blatant religious themes and religious significance. I, I mean, there's movies that do it in a not explicitly Christian way, like The Exorcist, where, you know, you've got religious symbolism all over right, the place. Right, yeah. Or the way Stephen King writes yeah. in his movies. There's mm -hmm. religion just permeating throughout yeah. the story. So I, I think there's a place for that, but the way this movie does it is so ham-fisted, yeah, as we've been saying. I, it, it's just right there. There's no subtext. There's no thematic development. It's just just throwing it in your face, religion. Again, yeah, again, they, they could have had a Christian couple going struggling mm -hmm. with marriage, and I feel like that would have been more poignant than not only having this struggling marriage aspect, but then they, like, they have becoming a Christian covers over all of that. That's yeah. not... They have deep issues they have to resolve. I feel like it would have been easier, especially considering there's not non-Christians watching this movie. I mean, yeah, probably. this movie is presumably reaching out to Christians, and there's a place for Christians to have a movie about a struggling marriage in the context of Christianity, Yeah, which I think probably would have been a more prudent direction to go with this. But instead, they decided to not only have a movie about conversion, but have a movie about like a struggling marriage yeah. they just tried to they bit off way more than they could chew yeah and, and I, think, they, I don't think they really took into account who their audience was yeah. i think what they were trying to do and there's you know truth to this they're saying the only way to really have a like to get a healthy marriage that's built on a solid foundation is through you know the power of christ the power of the holy spirit yeah. and stuff like that that's the message they were trying to convey mm -hmm. but you don't need to do that by having a conversion scene in the middle of your movie there's there's right. ways to do that that don't just throw it in your face yeah um and so i think like the batman movies which were great movies mm -hmm. are on the opposite end of the spectrum yeah. as this where that movie there's just no religious symbolism or any kind of like hopefulness in like, like if you think about those movies there's no real i'm gonna sound like a certain person we know but there's no real like hopefulness or any kind of thing right, in, yeah. in the movie but the only hope is like a flawed yeah, it's character like the, in that. You the know? best thing you've got is this dude who's right. really just a as bad vigilante. As yeah. yeah. But then in this movie on the other end of the spectrum, and it's not a great movie, it's not made well, is just blatantly throwing religion in your face. And I think there's a middle ground in between those two. Uh, I'm trying to think of a good example of that. Well, Sergeant York's a pretty good example. Yeah. Of that, where faith and the reality of religion and the reality of Christianity, like mm -hmm. it, it shapes this person's life. Yeah. 
but it doesn't just wash over all of the issues he had. Yeah. Although, have, in his conversion... It's have you of, seen The Apostle with Robert Duvall? No, I'm, I was okay, just thinking about we that might, the other day. Honestly, it might be worthwhile just to, at some point, watch that and talk about it on this podcast, because I think it's the best portrayal of Christianity and redemption I've ever seen in a movie, and it's written by Robert Duvall, who is not a Christian himself. He was raised, I think, Christian scientist. Um... Okay. But it might be worth looking into if yeah. maybe we decide once per season of this uh, podcast. To have like a non-Christian yeah, movie. Yeah, or just have scenes. a Christian movie that really got it right so yeah. that we can kind of balance out um, what we're doing. Would you watch this movie again, Ben? Fireproof? Yeah. No. Okay. No, me either. Yeah. I didn't think I ever would watch it again. <laughs> no, um, there, there's no reason to go back to it. There's yeah. A, right. Th- um, that's not to say that it doesn't have its moments, but... Do you recommend it? Would there be any people that you would say you got to watch this? Like, hey, I know you like these movies, but um, no, prob- you, you I probably would one. not recommend this movie okay. to anybody. I don't think I would either. And then, if you could recast this movie, who would you have in Kirk Cameron's role? <laughs> I feel like I don't know who could have done it, but Nicolas Cage. I mean, like, it- okay, okay. <laughs> I think we could benefit very much. He remade Left Behind. We need to get okay. a petition out and start. <laughs> Getting the message out to Nicolas Cage, the only, he's got to remake Fireproof. The only reason I say that, though, is because his acting chops are very similar to Kirk Cameron's. Yeah, like Un- Unhinged. Unhinged Cage is what he's best at. <laughs> yeah. And can you imagine, like, uh, you ungrateful woman. <laughs> You're so selfish. <laughs> he could do it. Could I, do I think it. he could. Yeah. I think we need to petition. The, come on, folks. Get this rolling. <laughs> Let's start. He's already done Left Behind, so we yeah. know that he's... Yeah, so this there is precedent for this that Nicolas Cage could possibly remake Fireproof. So we need to get on that bandwagon ASAP as possible. Now, all right, I'm trying to think. Uh, is there anything in the movie that really knocked your socks off? Knocked my socks. Yeah, you were like, okay, this moment, this is a great moment in this movie. There were good moments that yeah. we have addressed. Was there anything that you were like, whoa? Not really. Okay. Not really. I mean, the, yeah. the, the the closest we get to that is Kirk Cameron's like repentance apology scene, where like, but that was just the rest of the movie was so badly acted yeah. that it was like, okay, this is normal good acting. Yeah. So there there was no. So like, the best scenes were par for the course yeah. in general. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's all I got for this. All right. So I think we beat a dead I horse think, for sure. Yeah. As we come to a close here, our plan is to do. A couple of these episodes like this on different Christian movies. I guess we're trying to do a season format where the first 10 episodes in season one are just movies from our childhood, movies that we grew up watching. Yeah. But season two, we have a whole other plan. We are planning on watching End Times movies tentatively. (laughs) So those of you that watch some of those End Times movies from the 70s or have even seen Left Behind starring... Oh, are we going to do the Nicolas Cage one? Oh, we could do. We could do, yeah. (laughs) I don't know if that fits into the genre of these Christian... I think we're going to have to watch it and find out. Yeah, maybe we'll do those both as the same episode. Yeah. But anyway... So, stay tuned for the next episode. Yeah. Do we have a movie picked out for the next episode, I I don't think we do yet. We do not yet. But before before we move on from Fireproof, what would you give... As your like rating for this movie, like you know, uh, mm. two thumbs up, whatever, you know, whatever system you want to use. I would say I would give it out of ten fire hats. I would give it. Uh, 
based on just general general yeah. scales about movies. Well, and I think I would give it. That's uh, I'm going to be generous and give it a four. A four. All right. So uh, the scale I'm using, I guess, is four fire hats. The, just the, to clarify, yeah, the the Christian movies mm-hmm. scale. So of of the Christian movies we're watching, and I would also give this a three or a four. Yeah. Um, Hot sauce bottles. Three or four hot sauce bottles. Okay, three or four hot sauce bottles and four fire hats. So, uh, for those of you that want to keep in touch with us, we do have an email address, betterdaypodcast at gmail.com. Please email us with movie suggestions. Email your thoughts on Fireproof or thoughts on the podcast in general. And also email us about whether or not you wanted to marry one of your parents when you were a <laughs> yes, child. That'll be the discussion because question. Because I don't want to have to be alone in this issue. Obviously, Ben did not have any of those feelings when he was a child. I did. So please, I'm begging you, please email this with some kind of affirmative response. Yeah. And we are also going to have a Twitter and Instagram coming soon. Uh, yeah, presumably, Better Day Podcast will be our handle and any numbers if those are already taken. We will, <laughs> next episode, get to you exactly what our Twitter and Instagram handles are. Yep. Ben, do you have anything else to add? Anything to plug? I think that's about it, really. I don't have any social media at this point uh, that I could plug. And... So hopefully there are people who listened to this and enjoyed it. If you have any thoughts, like you said, feel free to email us. We'll, I'm sure we'll be somewhat responsive. Mm-hmm. If, if you have... Oh, we will be. We have nothing else to do. <laughs> this, this is really is the life. only thing we've got going on. Yeah. If you have any ideas for Christian movies, uh, so I mentioned this already, but I just want to reiterate it, that you think we may not have heard of, that you think we'd enjoy, send us a link to them if they're not easily available and you have yeah. a copy maybe you can figure out some way to get it to get it to yep. us i'm sure we'd be able to cover yep. shipping or something like and that. and even though we don't make doctor dollars we will be willing to fork over the two or three bucks to rent the movie as well yeah. if we deem it necessary to the podcast yeah. again that's better day podcast at gmail.com that's it folks yep thanks for listening tune in next time I want